started, it's a little after five, and we've got a meaty agenda. So I was waiting to start closed session. So City of Alameda, uh, City Council meeting, uh, Tuesday, November 7, 2023. We are going to start with, um, uh, we're going to go into closed session, but we're going to first start with a roll call, and I will ask the uh, city clerk to please call the roll. Uh, Vice Mayor Dayson? Here. Council Member Jensen? Here. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft? Here. And the other two should be here shortly. Okay. <laughs> Have we heard from them? Uh, one is here, but just went back to the office, and the other one haven't heard. I will All check right. in. That sounds good. Okay, so um, we have a consent calendar for the closed session. These are routine items, can be approved by one motion unless the council member um, removes it for a full discussion. Do I have a motion to approve the consent calendar for the closed session? Okay, we've got a motion by council member Jensen, seconded by vice mayor Desog. Um, we can take a, a, a voice vote. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Okay, that passes unanimously. Um, Madam Clerk, is there any public comment on our closed session items? I should have the Zoom open and double check that there isn't, and there is not. <laughs> okay, and if we check for Zoom updates and all those good things, yes. there's still time for that. Okay. Well, with that, we are going to adjourn into closed session to consider the following items, which I will ask the city clerk to please introduce for us. 4A is conference with real property negotiators pursuant to government code section 54956.8. The property is approximately 32,500 square feet of space within 2505 Monarch Street, building 22 in Alameda Point. The city negotiators are the city manager, economic base reuse and economic development director, strategic advisor, uh, managing director Cushman Wakefield and assistant city attorney. Negotiating parties are city of Alameda and Gold Bar Spirits Company. Under negotiation is price in terms of lease. Uh, 4B is conference with real property negotiators pursuant to government code section 54956.8. The property is 1605 Ferry Point, building 15 at Alameda Point. City negotiators are city manager, base reuse and economic development director, strategic plan or strategic advisor, managing director Cushman and Wakefield, and assistant city attorney. Negotiating parties are City of Alameda and U.S. Ecology, formerly known as NRC Environmental Services. Under negotiation are price and terms of lease. 4C is conference with labor negotiators pursuant to government code section 54957.6. The city negotiators are the city manager, human resources director, outside counsel, and deputy city attorney. The employee organizations are the International Association of Firefighters, local 689 IFF. Under negotiation are salaries, employee benefits, and terms of employment. 4D is conference with legal Council existing litigation pursuant to government code section 549569A. The case name is City of Alameda versus Sheehan. Court is Superior Court of the County of Alameda. Case numbers 22 CV 009959, 23 CV 037442, 23 CV 038384. Court in the Court of Appeals of the State of California, First Appellate District Division 2. Case number A168300. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Good job. I'm not even sure I can listen as fast as she says that, but I, I think I got it. All right, so with that, the council is going to adjourn into closed session. And um, Madam Clerk or Madam City Manager, I think the parties and negotiators are the same on 4A and 4B. Is that correct? Um, one different person from Cushman Wakefield. Okay. Well, so we, we will start in um, the uh, letter order. So um, the, everyone involved in 4A, come on back. And um, with that, we're going to adjourn into closed session. And for members of the public, it's my every intention to be back before you at 7 p.m. Thank you.
have a proclamation declaring 20, November 2023 as California Sick Awareness and Appreciation Month in Alameda. We have a proclamation declaring November 2023 as Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And we have a proclamation um, declaring uh, this the month of United Against Hate. You can find all of those proclamations. You can read them on the city's website. And so then with that, we will move on to item four, which is oral communications on non-agenda items. So this is a time we'll take 15 minutes now at the top of the agenda where speakers can speak for up to two minutes, Madam Clerk. So it's oh yes, remind us. <laughs> yes, so it's up to um, five speakers get three minutes, and if there are more than five, then it lowers to two minutes. Right, I forgot we um, we made a little rule change. Uniform for all. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right. So with that said, do we have any speakers under number four oral communication non-agenda items? Uh, we do, and we currently have four, so they'll each get three minutes. Uh, the first is Paul Busterian and Joe Laparo in the audience, and Paul's up first. Okay, welcome, Mr. Uh, speaker Busterian. Hi. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Busterian and I want to talk a little bit about democracy and what we can do in Alameda to improve it. Uh, if you've been following national politics in the last few years, you've probably seen democracies maybe not going so well. We've had January 6th, we've had a speaker elected recently who doesn't believe people should determine their own health care, who doesn't believe in elections, and he was elected by mostly people from gerrymandered districts where they were chosen by the extreme people in a primary. So Americans really aren't choosing there. And then up in 2024, we, most Americans aren't excited about the choices they have for president. So, so what can we do in Alameda about that? Because those are, those are mostly outside our scope. But, but we can do things better for democracy in Alameda. And I've been working with the League of Women Voters. The League is a big force for democracy, working on things like education, registration, and the mechanics of democracy. And that, that's where I want to dive in a little bit, the mechanics of democracy. We've been working on ranked choice voting, which is a way to improve how elections are run. It gives vo voters more opportunity, better, um, better way to express themselves, and tends to lead to more collaborative and less divisive candidates and elected officials. So we've been working on this for a while. The last few months, we've been gathering signatures. We've gathered almost everybody we talk to on the streets, Once we, if we talk to them, get excited about it, and we have thousands of signatures so far from Alamedans. We have thousands more to go. It's a big bar to get on the, get on the ballot, but we're working our way there. And um, yeah, I just wanna reach out to everybody to not walk past that signature gather, stop by, sign, the, sign it, um, and be a part of improving democracy. We um, are, democracy requires work. It just doesn't happen, starting from you can go back to the American Revolution, to abolitionists in the Civil War, and suffragettes, and women's right to vote, and the Civil Rights Movement. It all takes work, and, and we, we're seeing challenges to our democracy, and we have a, something we can do in Alameda. We lead the way on a lot of things, and here's something else we can do, and I encourage everybody to learn more about ranked choice voting, and participate, and work to put this on the ballot, and let's have a conversation next year about it, and lead the way from Alameda. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Our next speaker? Joe LaParo. Welcome, Speaker LaParo. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and um, Council members. Um, I really want to just stand here and thank you guys for directing the staff to look into what it's going to take to upgrade the beautiful historical Veterans Memorial Building 
And I also want to thank the staff for including the veterans in the meetings on what it's going to take to do that. Um, the presentation will be next, I guess, the next council meeting. So we are definitely looking forward to that. In the meantime, I'd like to invite everybody in the city of Alameda and all of you, I know some of you will go to the Hornet, but we are having a Veterans Day event there. Mm -hmm. Alameda High School Band will be playing a concert there. Sal Castaneda is our MC. Uh, we have the captain of the Naval Air Reserve, Reserve Unit, Captain Kerry Chase will be speaking. And we also have somebody close to you guys, the IT director, Carolyn Hogue's mother will be speaking. She is a, let's see, she's the national award winner for the Veterans of Foreign Wars for volunteerism. She's been doing it for many, many years, 50 probably, I think is more. She also is a, she grew up in Berlin during World War II. So she has a lot of experience to talk about. She's an amazing lady. Um, Marlene Rafferty is her name, and we're looking forward to hearing from her. So an invite goes to all of you. We put a lot of money into putting our pool tables back together and getting our game room up. So come and enjoy yourself. We're having a barbecue, sodas, water, everything and goes with it. So you're welcome to come and thank you. Thanks. And Mr. Lepore, before you go, the, so the event where Carolyn Hogue's mother is speaking, is that on the Hornet or at No, the she will be speaking at the Veterans Memorial Building, sorry, on Saturday, March, on the 11th. What time? And it starts at 11 o'clock. Okay. I know we've talked about the 11 <laughs> o'clock issue before. Right, but okay. 11 o'clock is very important in the right. Veterans time okay. frame. All right. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Okay, Madam Mayor, we now have more than five speakers, so we're um, up to above, so we're going to go down to two minutes, and the rest are remote. Uh, Leah Cohen is the next. All right. Welcome, Speaker Cohen. Are you there, Speaker Cohen? Looks like they're not unable to unmute themselves. Uh, do we want to do our... Which, if you don't have the most current version of Zoom, unfortunately, you can't usually unmute yourself. So um, we'll move on to the next and sort of try to circle back. Uh, next is Doug Bix. Okay, so if you didn't catch that, if, if you're on Zoom, do that little quick check where you see if there's any updates. And if there is, do it so you can join us. So who's our next speaker? Doug Bix. Welcome, Speaker Biggs. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Doug Biggs. I'm the Executive Director of the Alameda Point Collaborative. And I'm here tonight uh, to share with you the wonderful news that beginning last week, we started construction on the McKay Avenue Respite Center. Um, and I just, again, I want to thank members of the Council, including the Mayor Ashcraft, who have been such strong supporters of this on a local, regional, and national level, really helping it happen. <laughs> and Council Member Vela as well. And I know from a lot of different podiums. Uh, Member Jensen has also been in, in support of this project. So we're really grateful for you getting us to this point. We expect that uh, demolition will be completed by mid-December. Um, and then we'll move into large, you know, new construction at that point. Uh, <clears throat> keep an eye out in the next couple of days. We'll be putting out an announcement about a groundbreaking that will come at the end of demo and the beginning of construction. And uh, I also want folks to know that we have set up a construction hotline for any questions, complaints, or concerns people may have. And that phone number is 510-227-5484. We haven't gotten any calls yet. Um, we've been doing everything in compliance with all the permits and regulations, and the crew that's out there has been doing a wonderful job. So thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Moses Levy. 
Welcome, Speaker Levy. Um, good evening. Um, can everyone hear me all right? We can hear you. Welcome. Perfect. Um, first off, I would like to thank the council for hearing me. I would like to thank the public, and I would like everyone to take a moment to remember all of the U.S. servicemen and veterans that have passed during their service. Just give us a moment in silence, please. Thank you. I think that was a moment. And um, I would like all of us to remember the USS Liberty. On June 8th in 1967, Israeli forces attacked the USS Liberty, killing 34 U.S. Navy personnel by air and sea attacks. Over 200 additional service members were injured during the attacks, and Israel claims that their intelligence agency identified it as an Egyptian ship but it was flying an American flag. Major Uri Meretz knew that the USS Liberty was an unarmed US Navy intel operation, and he instead instructed the Israeli Air Force and Navy to bomb and torpedo the ship anyway, making sure to target the lifeboats to prevent anyone from escaping. How is this different from the international situation with the USS Gerald Ford and the 12, sorry, 11 other aircraft carriers being put out towards the Gaza Strip, letting Israel make another attack in order to draw us into another war in the Middle East. We already have over a thousand troops on the ground as per Biden. Do we really need all of our young American men and women dying for something that has nothing to do with our national circumstances, our local circumstances? By the way, Jews suck baby penises, and they did 9-11. The Holocaust never happened, but it could have. Hitler was right. Heil Hitler, Sieg Heil. Visit gtvflyers.com. All right, that time is up. And so I'm going to take a pause here. Um, we, we do have a First Amendment in this, in this country, which allows freedom of speech. And it does allow a lot of wide latitude. But I want to make it clear that as the mayor of this city, and on behalf of the council and city staff, the comments that you just heard do not comport at all with the values that we hold in Alameda. And we do not stand for anti-Semitism or any other discrimination against any people. Um, I apologize for what you just heard. And um, it is something I will just tell you that um, we've all been preparing for as staff and um, elected leaders. It's called Zoom bombing. And um, it's, it's tricky because, again, the First Amendment allows um, freedom of speech, and um, we need to allow it, but we do not condone it. We do not agree with it. It does not represent this city. So um, thank you for listening to me, and I will say that again if I have to again. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, yes, I appreciate the positive stuff tonight about the veterans' causes, particularly the veterans' buildings, and the city finally taking some action on that and doing what's right to help the veterans in Alameda um, and show some respect for the veteran cause. So that's very positive. Um, on the not-so-positive side, um, the display last week that I saw regarding animal cruelty, animal testing um, on Alameda Point, I think that was fundamentally 
um, wrong as far as um, the coercion on the mayor's part when it was time for the vote. I believe that was illegal. It was time for a vote, and the vote should have been just allowed to happen. But the mayor spent numerous minutes coercing the other council members, of which I'm very proud of for standing strong. Mr. Desog, Ms. Vela, that was um, very solid on your part. I know that the mayor bullies you on a constant basis, and she um, all the time talks you into doing things that are fundamentally wrong. So that was strong of you to stay strong. And the fact now that we have the mayor on record as being the only city council member in Alameda that supports animal cruelty and animal testing. Um, actually, I take that back because Tracy did um, appear to support it somewhat as well. So um, she was very back and forth on that, though. So that was hard to comprehend where she was coming from. But again, this process, the process must be followed. And I'd like to remind everyone that the city attorney works primarily for the people and not the city council. So he needs to call things out and stop things when the process is being violated. Um, there's certain ways that things have to happen for this to be democratic and for the people to prevail. So once again, um, it's not right when the process is violated. Um, I too hate to hear offensive things. Um, I think perhaps the mayor's comments would have been better served in her time to talk. Um, and again, I would demand council members, you got to quit commenting on commenters' comments. It is wrong. Yeah, Thank your you. Your time is up. Thank you. Our next speaker. Sorry. Um, Zeke Isle? Yes, good evening, council. Uh, I'd like to thank you for standing, standing against Tate. Uh, it's such a terrible thing. You know, that's why we need to have the Holocaust um, illegal to question in more than 18 countries like it is right now. You know, people should not be able to question that bit of history whatsoever. Um, and also, you know, the, the nation has been stepping up against hate and jailing people like John Menadio and the Jacobs family uh, down in Georgia for speaking out against uh, supremacy in our nation, um, you know, it's, it's, there, there's nothing wrong with Jews running this country, running 96% right, of the media. Clerk, if you would just and, pause uh, the speaker for a minute, the city attorney wanted to weigh in. City attorney Ibn Shen. Um, I just wanna remind members of the public that general public comment is not about all comment, it's about comments within the council's general jurisdiction. Um, the council's general jurisdiction is broad, but generally does not include international law, but, um, with that refrain, I'll return it back to the city clerk. No, I, well, I think it has to be established. So um, let's go to our next speaker then. Uh, Safar Jackson. Welcome, Speaker Jackson. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. My name is Safar Jackson, and I just have to say that these speakers tonight, although they are a different race, I believe that what they are getting to is a fundamental, a fundamental uh, principle in our nation, which is that we are allowed to talk about these things. So as a member of this great nation and of our community, I would like to say that I also would like to make a, a, a resolution. There are many people right now that are talking to the city councils 
and they want these resolutions to be passed. There was a resolution passed in Virginia, so you cannot say that this is not a part of our city. They passed a resolution to denounce the war crimes that are happening. White phosphorus and dropping it on children is a war crime. And I would also like to say that the whole subject of the political prisoners is true. The Supreme Court has already determined that distrib distributing literature is a constitutional protected activity. Now, I know that y'all have been briefed by the ADL on all of these things, okay? And I say that white people and black people should unite because what we have here is Zionist control. And Zionism is a plague upon this world. If you go to gtvflyers.com, you can find the facts. You can look at the information and it cannot be debunked. So that is why the politicians right now are making motions and passing laws to silence free speech. Right, time is up. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Um, that is our full 15 minutes under this portion. All right, so at this point we close oral communication, non-agenda items. There will be another opportunity at the end of the agenda, but the same um, admonitions that the city attorney gave us will still hold. Um, okay, so let's all take a deep breath. And um, and I, um, we're gonna go on to the consent calendar. I just wanna say to the audience, um, one of the things that I have had the privilege of doing as mayor is presiding over these meetings more recently in person. And we have such great audiences. You come, you discuss, sometimes contentious, um, difficult, challenging issues, and you're able to do it with civility, speak your piece but not attack others, I appreciate that. So let's remember who we are, let's remember our values. I'm probably a little biased. I happen to think Alameda and the Alameda public is like a cut above, they're just so, they do things so well, so let's just keep, you know, you do you. And we are moving on to the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, help us uh, just understand, because we've made some little uh, changes that I need to be reminded of sometimes, but yes. the city clerk, she knows everything. Okay. So the council um, changed the rules of order, and last meeting was the first time it was in place, but under the consent calendar, council members now have time to um, ask questions and um, make comments without removing an item. If any council member elects to remove an item, it does move to the end of the regular items. Um, and so that's the new process of the consent calendar. Okay, so um, so should I ask, is there anything if you, as, as the city clerk indicated, if you, if council has um, just some clarifying questions on any consent calendar items but doesn't feel the need to pull it, we could do that now. If you oh. say the pull items first in case oh. the members of the public want to Oh, sorry, speak. you're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So first I should say, <laughs> do, are, do any uh, council members have any uh, consent calendar items they want to pull? Okay, we'll start on my left with council member Jensen. Um, I wanted to could you use your microphone, please, so we can all hear you? Thanks. Thank you, Madam Chair. I want to pull item 5Q. Okay, okay, um, that's a pull. Okay, anything else for you, Council Member Jensen? 
All right, moving down the line, Councilmember Harai Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. I'd like to pull item 5D as in dog. That's the okay. strategic plan. D as in dog, pull. Any other pulls? Uh, 5M as in Mary, <coughs> and that's regarding the charging for the ferry parking. Okay. And then I was also gonna pull 5Q, but that's already been pulled. All right. Um, um, do you want me to register my no votes now? Sure. 5L as in Larry, um, so and that's uh, registering a no. Okay, all right. Thank you. Thank you, okay. Anything else, Council? Okay, so um, uh, Madam Clerk, so now, okay, did anybody have any items they just wanted to pull to ask clarifying questions? <coughs> Possibly not. So um, something that I wanted to raise on the one item M that was pulled is this the time to? Yeah, you'll do it when it's when it's discussed now, since it has been. Pulled. Yeah, since yeah. it's been pulled. So yeah. this this is you want to tell us what this is. So item five M does have a, t a a grant that is timely. So um, it is a very full agenda, and there are other two continued consent items that you guys didn't get to last time. So the council could consider um, moving it to some other place in the agenda, like you know after the continued items or maybe you know above some regular items but it would take four votes to move that and madam city manager did you want to just amplify on that sure absolutely that we are we need to submit a resolution to receive this grant it's strongly re recommended by the metropolitan transportation commission that we turn that resolution in by november 15th so this is time sensitive if we're to obtain funds for this so to the extent the how much are those funds Oh, I think the full amount of those funds. Right, $750,000. Yeah, so, yeah, significant yeah. amount of yes. money and, and consistent with a number of the city's policies. And so if we can hear that first or earlier in the agenda, that would be, um, staff would re you know, request that. Okay, so what we're suggesting, um, what the, the city clerk was suggesting is that if council could agree to hear that at the beginning um, before we go into our regular agenda, is that after the six, item sixes, but before the item sevens? That way we would make sure we don't miss the time for applying for, uh, for, for receiving that grant funding. But it does take four uh, affirmative votes. Councilmember Harris Spencer? Uh, I don't know if you can answer this, but when is the grant due? Well, I can have staff. I know that this, our resolution has to be submitted prior to November 15th. Lisa, you wanna come up? And go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> and with the understanding that we're not really hearing this item, we're just getting some clarification. Welcome, and please introduce yourself. That actually answers my question. Oh, that was a date. Okay. Yeah, thanks. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Have a seat. Okay. So what I need is a motion and a second and four affirmative votes or three more votes because I'm voting for it um, to hear this item before we go to 7A. So moved. We have a motion by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Vice Mayor Desog. No, not seconded. Jensen, Councilmember Jensen. Okay. I just want to make a comment. Of course, comment. Um, I'm, uh, I will support the motion, but you know, um, I do believe it should have fallen under agenda changes. Um, so, but I'm supportive. All right. Agenda thank, changes thank is that. item number two on our on our agenda. Got it. All right. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? No opposed. <coughs> that passes unanimously. Thank you, everyone. So that'll come back to us just before seven a. So what I'm looking for now is a motion. No, sorry, it is not a public comment. <laughs> I'm 
I'm trying to read my cheat sheet and not doing so well. Okay, we have public comment now. Okay, and our public commenter who raised their hand, um, I just want to make sure that if you wanted to speak on 5D, M, or Q, you will have an opportunity to speak on those items later. So this is just the items remaining on the consent calendar other than D, M, and Q. And, and let's tell them what D, M, and Q is. Oh, yes. Is. <laughs> Sorry, D is the strategic plan. M is the um, grant that was just discussed uh, for transportation. And then uh, Q is the rent CIP ordinance. So if you want to speak on any of those three, you'll speak on it when it comes up. Um, but you are welcome to speak on the rest of the consent calendar. And our um, first speaker is Andy O'Brien. And this is just items on the consent calendar. OK. Um, is that a remote speaker? Yes. Okay, and I'm going to just Hello. assume everyone on their best behavior. If anyone isn't, the microphone, if you're not talking on a consent calendar item, the microphone is going to be um, terminated. Hello, can you hear me? We can hear you. Welcome. All right, and this is uh, for public comments, not on the agenda, or, or I, I had a hard time No, sir, this is, this is a consent calendar you would be commenting on. So this is not the time to ask why we tolerate Jews sucking... Okay. All right. It's okay. We're not, you know what? We are not going to give people the benefit and the satisfaction of a response. We're going to ignore them. We're not going to encourage that kind of behavior. So, okay. Good work. And the minute that, you know, doesn't sound like it's on topic, we're going to cut the microphone off. Um, we are on the consent calendar. Any other commenters on the public comment on the consent calendar? Uh, Richie Ward. Welcome, Speaker Ward. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. So this consent calendar, uh, exactly, uh, can you explain just quick, like the description of it real quick? This is public comment on the consent calendar. Yeah, but can you, can you give me a quick definition of what that uh, consent calendar is like, what it's about again? This isn't public comment. To topic, okay, so. this isn't public comment. Okay, we go on to our next. Um, that was our only speaker. Okay, with that, we close public comment on the consent calendar. And I am looking for um, a motion to approve the Move approval, the balance of okay. the consent and calendar. And the balance of the consent calendar is everything except D, Q, D, uh, D uh, M, and Q. And Q. Uh, right. Okay. Madam Mayor. Yeah, of course. My Mr. apologies Chair. for the interruption. Because there is an employment agreement on the consent calendar, oh, yeah. state law requires that the city clerk announce the substance of the consent calendar Thank you for that on reminder. that topic before the council votes. Thank My apologies for, that for the reminder. interruption. Okay. <coughs> Madam Clerk, okay. back to you. Thank you so much. Um, so the amendment, there is an <laughs> amendment that's on the consent calendar, if I had glasses, um, and it is to the city attorney's employment agreement to um, grant three additional administrative leave days consistent with the same being previously granted to other executive management employees. And remind us that is item um, um, 5E. Yes. All right. So the, and that's all we need to do is read that and then the new terms, it's yes, been read are, and yes. so now we know exactly what we're voting on, including that. So um, you, uh, Councilor Ravella moved approval and do we have a second? And Councilmember Jensen seconds. Okay, all those in favor of approving the balance of the consent calendar signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstain? No, that passes unanimously. Okay, so then we move on from the consent calendar to pages of consent calendar. We <laughs> move a. on to um, 6A, and these were items um, 
that were uh, pulled from the previous consent calendar, and so they were hearing them at the top of this um, agenda. So, Madam Clerk, would you introduce item 6A, please? Recommendation to clarify that the previously approved animal shelter operator agreement with Friends of the Alameda Animal Shelter includes an annual increase based on the percentage change in the consumer price index for a total 10-year compensation estimate of 11,574,639. And so before we even hear anything on this, I want to state that I was the one who, um, who pulled this item uh, previously because this, the city contributes million or so dollars a year to the animal shelter, which is well and good and has been approved. But the staff report noted that some of that money goes to salaries. We pay half the director's salary. But there was no number, like how many salaries? Two salaries or more? And so anyway, I asked for that in additional information. It has been provided. It's, in, uh, it's attached to this, um, this item as additional information from staff. So that was my reason for pulling it. We just ran out of time last time to um, pull it. So um, I don't need a staff presentation because I've read the staff report. I would be looking for a motion to I'd approve. I'd like to move approval. Okay, we have a motion to approve. It's been seconded by Councilmember Jensen, like Councilmember Harry Spencer. I want to thank FAS, Friends of Alameda Animal Shelter, all of the volunteers for all of the amazing work that they do to keep our animal shelter running as really um, one of the, obviously one of the best shelters around. So thank you so much for all of you. And I actually see a few of you here in the audience. So I really uh, do want to give you all credit for what you do. Thanks. Great. And with that, um, we have a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstains? Okay, that passes unanimously. And then we move on to item 6B. And um, Madam Clerk, will you? Um, oh, my, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, didn't see the. Ask for we didn't ask comment. for public comment, and no. I didn't see a hand up. So I don't. I, can we see if that person wanted to comment on this? I'm so sorry. I missed it. Okay. Um, and the, okay. Uh, Todd Hickman. Oh, okay. All right. Um, sorry. Back to 6A and welcome Speaker Hickman. So that was really disappointing that you passed over public comment on that. And once again, in the mayor's rush to dominate and manipulate the meetings, the public was almost excluded. I would really like to thank the clerk for um, catching that. Um, that's actually unusual that that would be caught. And once again, the public would have been cheated out of appropriate comment time. So what I'm particularly enthused about the passage of 6A and actually the mayor's support is that um, she at least shows some compassion towards animals. And um, you know, after her voting and being um, the strongest supporter of animal cruelty and animal testing with the relation to Science Corp, she actually made a big play here and did the right thing. So I'd really like to thank the mayor for that. Um, it doesn't clear her record of being the main proponent of animal cruelty, particularly on primates and polluting Spirits Alley with such a business. But again, I would like to thank the mayor for doing the right thing on this and actually I'm um, making this happen and everybody else that voted yes. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Next speaker. That was our only Okay, speaker. we close public comment and do we need a... Uh, we can re-vote if that's... Do we need a yeah, new I motion? Think we I do. guess that's probably best. With, with much gratitude to Foz and our uh, executive director, John Lipp, who's here tonight, and uh, the board and the, and the many volunteers, I'd like to move approval of item 6A. 
Thank you. And it was seconded by Councilmember. Okay, Herrera Spencer will second this time. And and I also thank and appreciate Foz and hi out there, <laughs> board members in the audience. Okay, all those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? No. Okay, that motion passes unanimously. So then we move on to item 6B. This is where my iPad freezes, so Madam Adoption of resolution supporting local, state, and federal efforts to exonerate the Port Chicago 50. All right, so um, uh, Council Member Harris Spencer, um, you, I believe, pulled this one, is that correct? Yes. Okay, um, and did you, did you want a staff report? What would yes. you like? I'd like a staff presentation. All right. And I want to make sure that we get our public comment in on this item. Um, and I do want to explain that I, uh, may I continue? Well, should we have our staff report? No, I'd like to explain why I pulled the item Whichever before, like she's, to do, before right she starts. Uh -huh. Thanks so much. So I want to explain to, to everyone in regards to, I pulled this at the, the title. Did, I'm sorry, Clerk, did you already read it? Yes. Okay, um, 6B, I pulled it last time because uh, it had been put on the agenda by staff. Um, and if you look, at, and as a consent item, um, and I actually, if you look at when, when it, I'm not sure it was actually appropriate for staff to put it as a consent item. I think in the past when staff wants, uh, I'm not, I actually think if a council member wants to put something like this on the agenda, it goes as a referral first, and then we vote on whether or not we want to uh, have staff work on this. And, and it's not in regards to what's appropriate for routine items, and the definition has recently been enlarged, uh, but, but it's currently it's annual reports, hearings, budget adjustments, contracts, grants, final passage of ordinances, police policies, and items returning to council, of which this proclamation is none of those things. So I do think it is appropriate to have it on the public item, um, and then I am looking forward to staff's presentation so that we're all aware of what the ask is. Thank you so much. <coughs> Mayor, just to be clear. Of course, um, Sarah Henry, our communications, yeah. sorry. Sarah Henry, our communications director, will make the presentation. If you do have questions about why or how it was put on the agenda, I'm happy to answer those questions. Thank you. Okay, welcome, Ms. Henry. All right, welcome, uh, Mayor and members of the City Council. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint presentation for you, but I do have some notes on the staff report. The uh, city manager and the mayor attended a recent Alameda County Mayor's Conference where a presentation was made about the Port Chicago 50 with the request for cities to consider supporting the local, state, and federal efforts to exonerate the Port Chicago 50. And these local, state, and federal efforts include the city and county of San Francisco, the East Bay Regional Parks District, Contra Costa County, Contra Costa County Mayor's Conference, 13 cities including Albany, Concord, Lafayette, Berkeley, Antioch, Richmond, Martinez, Brentwood, Pleasant Hill, Orinda, Walnut Creek, Pittsburgh, and Emeryville. And then in addition, there's support from U.S. Congress members Desaunier, Lee, and Garamendi, along with Vice President Harris. The Port Chicago 50 are the survivors of the Port Chicago disaster that killed 320 men, most of whom are, were African American, as they loaded ammunition into the ships headed into the Pacific Theater during World War II. It's a very local issue, but it's not included in our legislative agenda, so the city manager asked that we bring the resolution of support <coughs> to the city council for consideration, uh, which is, we placed it on the consent calendar, and we're here now. So happy to answer any questions about the, the monument or the resolution. Any clarifying questions before we go to public comment? No, and I want to thank you for the presentation. Okay, 
All right, Madam Clerk, let's, and you can have a seat, Ms. Henry. <laughs> let's have public comment with same admonitions. Uh, Carmen Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Okay. Speaker Reed, are you there? I think I'm here. Um, good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council. Um, I would like uh, to read a portion of the correspondence that I submitted regarding this item. Uh, I believe that um, it would have served the public better uh, for this item to be on the regular agenda. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so here, here I go. I'm going to read a portion of of this letter. Um, Okay, the extensive tragedy that occurred on July 17th, 1944, in nearby Port Chicago, which is next to, P to Bay Point uh, and Concord, while loading ammunition and explosives to support World War II efforts, deserves considerable attention. The inequitable treatment, racial disparities, and lack of policy measures to protect both those loading the docks and on the ships tragically resulted and the deaths of 320 people. This included 220 black enlisted men, 67 crew and 30 armed guards. Additionally, there were 390 injured, which included 233 black enlisted men. From the SSEA Bryan, there were 31 US merchant mariners who died. And from the SS Kinault, 36 US merchant mariners. As you are well aware, Alameda played an important role during World War II, including the activities of the Naval Air Station and the U.S. Maritime Service, a civilian corps that included blacks. The merchant mariners suffered the highest casualty rate, one out of 26 of all of the service branches during World War II, and were responsible for delivering the goods and supplies across all theaters of war. Their significant, their significant efforts were not without considerable risks as evidenced in the Port Chicago tragedy. There is still a pending nomination for the National Register of Historic Places for the Historic U.S. Maritime Service Officer School in Alameda, where over 6,500 U.S. MM officers were trained from 1942 through 1953, one of only two such U.S. MM officers training schools during World War II. World War II was a monumental effort and Alameda played an important role in our nation's history. Please support the exoneration of the Port Chicago 50, the sacrifices of these outspoken black men who stood up during this time of crisis should be duly recognized. Thank you very much. Thank you, our next speaker. Uh, Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, I strongly support this resolution. What happened to these men was fundamentally wrong. Um, as a retired hazmat inspector and emergency responder for the County of Contra Costa, I spent quite a bit of time um, at this location. And it's um, just the feeling there, the vibe now, it just looks like a, a very serene park-like setting. Um, but knowing what actually happened there, um, it, it's very, very touching. And it's, it's a very, very sad story, um, not just with the tragedy, but with what happened to those men. Um, that's fundamentally wrong, and it does need to be addressed. Um, so I strongly support this. Um, aside from my support on that, I would like to thank um, Councilmember Spencer Herrera for her um, process acknowledgement 
and how this should have worked through the process. Um, she seems to be um, the one council member that is most aware and most astute regarding the process and how things should happen. So she is absolutely right in her criticism of how this was placed on the agenda. Um, in the end, I believe it's gonna get, you know, a five to zero vote in support of it. So um, we're still gonna get the same desired outcome. However, the process is really the most important part of these city council meetings. When you bypass the process, you cheat the citizens um, out of their rights. It is fundamentally wrong and violation of the process is rampant at the Alameda City Council meetings. So again, I fully appreciate um, Council Member Spencer Herrera's um, insight and knowledge of the process and how she continually fights for the process even when others are continually trying to violate the process. So, so to see this resolution that is 6B, um, it is satisfying because it is gonna get spoken about um, as well. And, and again, if you would have left it in the consent calendar, then it would have been diluted by the 10 other items in there. And so there would not have been adequate opportunity to talk and speak about this. So again, just that conceptually violates the entire process and cheats the citizens and the people um, out of what is right. So the process must be followed. The process is everything. And even though we are gonna get a five to zero vote on this tonight, I feel um, the process still was violated and, and that is tragic. Big picture that hurts the system, it hurts the people, it hurts everything. So um, everybody that supports the process and keeps talking about the process and keeps calling out those that violate the process, I applaud you and let's stay strong and get this fixed in the city of Alameda. Thank you, our next speaker. Uh, Carl Dickens. Welcome, Speaker Dickens. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. All right. <laughs> Well, I got a question here. I'm asking for the city to pass a resolution condemning the horrible attacks. Okay, Bishop. this is off topic, so we're not gonna hear that comment. Our next speaker. Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Good evening. I wanna second, not the last speaker, but the one just before the one got cut off. I think process is extremely important uh, to follow. And uh, I know that we have a long history of staff deciding what goes on the consent calendar. Uh, this was not business as usual. This did not belong on the consent calendar. Uh, had it not been pooled by uh, Congress, Councilwoman uh, Herrera Spencer, uh, we wouldn't have uh, uh, totally understood what this is all about, why the city would be voting to support it. I support the motion. But I think that we need to know why the council is doing what the council is doing. Uh, so I think it was appropriate to pull it. I think it's appropriate to have the uh, discussion. And I don't think that staff should be making the decisions unilaterally or in collusion with the mayor to put items on the consent calendar uh, when they're not business as usual. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Oh, that was our last speaker. With that, we close public comment on item 6B. And um, 
since I attended the mayor's conference meeting with the city manager or vice versa. Um, and um, so we did have a guest speaker as we often do at the mayor's conference and this was a council member from Brentwood. Brentwood, as you probably know, is in Contra Costa County, but our city Alameda is also part of the East Bay Division of the League of California Cities and those are all the cities of Alameda and Contra Costa County. So this um, councilwoman from Brentwood came and she's going around to lots of different meetings asking for support for this resolution. And um, city manager and I were sitting there. It was very compelling. And you know, it's one of those aspects of history that many of us weren't taught in school. And I always say it is never too late to right the wrongs of the past. And I want you to know that tonight, um, over in the city of Berkeley, they're also voting on a resolution, and I bet you it will um, it will pass unanimously. And I want to just read you part of that resolution um, because we've heard some things um, said today, but I think this sums it up really well. And as far as why would the city council of Alameda be voting to support this? All these years later, these men have still not been exonerated. Now, I'm pretty sure none of them are still alive, but their family members are. And so imagine how that feels to know that your father, grandfather, uncle, what have you, went through this horrendous experience and and was, you know, has a a, a mark on their criminal history. So um, the story of the Port Chicago the Port Chicago 50 is a story of bravery, the struggle against segregation, and the fight for civil and workers' rights. In the midst of World War II, on July 17, 1944, the East Bay was rocked by a huge explosion at Port Chicago near Concord. Almost all 320 men, all of them, 320 men on duty that night were killed, all, almost two-thirds of them black soldiers. The disaster amounted to 15% of all black American military deaths during World War II. The black sailors who survived, many of them injured and shaken by the traumatic event, were tasked with cleaning up after the disaster while their white counterparts were granted survivors leave to return home, heal their wounds, and see loved ones. Just days after the disaster, the remaining sailors were sent to Mare Island near Vallejo to continue loading explosives under the same leadership responsible for previous safety violations with no investigation and no changes to procedures, conditions, or safety practices, rather than provide training, bring work conditions up to code, or reassign white sailors to loading duties, naval leadership packed 258 of the black sailors onto a prison barge and threatened them with execution if they didn't return to work. There, they were faced with one of the hardest decisions of their lives, return to work in unsafe conditions or put their lives on the line to stand against racism, abuse, and segregation in the military. While 208 of them reluctantly returned to work, 50 refused and were charged with mutiny, which at the time carried a maximum penalty, maximum punishment of death. 
The sham trial and subsequent conviction of the Port Chicago 50 was a historical miscarriage of justice that we can never undo, but must strive to correct. The resolution put forward recognizes the grave sacrifices made by these, these sailors. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about this disgraceful disaster and its aftermath and the 50 brave men who took a stand against abuse and injustice and paid a very high price. We are overdue to exonerate their wrongful convictions and elevate them as righteous heroes. So I would think that in the city of Alameda, I cannot imagine anyone in this city who would object to this city council hopefully voting unanimously to support this resolution. And with that, I would invite a motion. Well, I would invite other council comments if you'd like to before making a motion, hopefully. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I want to thank the callers um, for all of your comments. Uh, so. In regards to the process, it's my understanding that if the mayor goes to a meeting and decides that you know there's something like this that she'd like us to entertain, uh, that it goes as a referral, and then we vote on whether or not we want to expend staff time to it. But even if uh, staff decides in their authority to put something on the agenda, I think we, uh, I would submit that most of us would be interested in hearing more about what what this is actually about and that it's actually worthy of in fact having a presentation with pictures and the slides and all of that. And I would encourage um, uh, and share with you all that you can go to their website, portchicago50.com uh, and get a lot of information about the history with pictures as well as other politicians that have uh, and cities that have supported uh, you know, these resolutions. But um, I do think that this is important, and I do think it's important to, um, you know, to have it as a regular agenda item. I don't think it falls under uh, ordinary business. I think it's extraordinary business. Um, so um, I'm happy to make the motion to move forward with the resolution. Oh, all right. Is there a second? Second. We've had a motion by Councilmember Harris Spencer, seconded by Councilmember Vella. Are we ready to vote? All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 That passes unanimously and rightfully so. Thank you, everyone. Okay, thank you, Madam Clerk. So now we go on to our, tell us where we are, Five. Madam Okay, Clerk. we're on item 5M since you guys moved it after. Mm -hmm. And um, that is adoption of resolution authorizing the city manager to execute all necessary documents with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission to accept 742,000 in grant funding and provide the necessary local match for the demand-based parking pricing and car management strategies in the business districts and ferry terminals project. This project is exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act, sequel pursuant to sequel guidelines, section 15303. Okay, welcome back and go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council members. I'm Lisa Foster, Acting Transportation Planning Manager for the City of Alameda. And shall I speak a bit about this? Or um, do you want to ask questions? Well, this was a pulled consent calendar item, and I think, was it you, Councilmember Harris Spencer, who pulled it? Do you have questions? Well, I do think it's a, so um, it's my understanding that this will, end up where, where, well, I actually would like staff to present what is this demand-based parking uh, structure, how will it change what we pay when we go to our business districts, and the current uh, parking at the ferries, there is no charge, and so 
when this gets approved, what is the city's plan? Thank you. I'd be happy to speak to that. So this is um, this item on the agenda is to accept a grant a grant from the MTC of seven hundred forty thousand dollars that would support us developing these programs to have demand responsive pricing in the business districts and to introduce paid parking at it covers two of our ferry terminals. Um, the the grant itself doesn't tell us how to do this. So, you know, we will be returning to you all to talk about how, what this should look like. We did bring a, um, a ferry terminal parking pricing strategy to the Transportation Commission at the end of December, and they approved that. We do plan to update it before bringing it to the council. Or they didn't approve it, they um, endorsed it. So, and we can do a similar item with, with demand responsive parking pricing, but just to, expand on what that means. Um, it is um, when you set parking rates based on demand with the goal of ensuring open parking spaces and reducing congestion. The common and council adopted goal is an 85% parking occupancy, which means that on any given block, you'll have a couple of parking spaces available so that a driver looking for a space will get off of the street quickly, they will be less likely to double park, and they won't be circling around looking for parking spaces. And every time they circle, they are crossing across crosswalks in what are, um, by definition, congested areas. So um, it's important to note these rate shifts are periodic. I would suggest quarterly for a city like Alameda and they are incremental. So it's, it's, not, it's just to confirm, you know, to, to clarify that we're not talking about surge pricing or something that like an Uber would do where it can surprise people. These price changes are, um, are noticed in advance. Um, all of the things in this grant proposal are um, fulfilling council adopted plans and policies and priorities over the years, starting with 2014. Mayor? Oh, that's right. City Manager, uh, go ahead. I was just wondering if Ms. Foster could talk a little bit about the community outreach that's going to happen once we get the money and what, what you'll be doing to make sure that people are aware of what we're, what policies we'll be implementing. Thank you. The um, Nicely, the grant would also cover uh, community outreach costs. So our staff time, materials, design. And so we haven't had a um, rate change at a, a meter in Alameda in a lot of years, at least eight, and I think it's more. Um, so before making any changes, we would need to talk to the community quite a bit. And then the same thing with uh, paid parking at the ferry terminals, that would be brand new. So we'll be using a whole slate of ways to get the word out. Um, with the ferry, we, can, we have a close working relationship with WIDA. We can get onboard communication to people riding. We can also do uh, flyers in um, parked cars at the ferry terminals. Of course, we have press releases and social media and um, available to us to use. Um, and we would do similar items for the rate changes at parking. And of course, the rates wouldn't change at the um, on-street parking in business districts if that parking is not too full or too empty. If it's just right, if we're at 85%, then, then that rate would stay the same. 
Okay, I'm Councilmember member Spencer. So I appreciate the last comment because when I try to drive down our business districts, uh, especially like Park Street, it's very, very hard to find a parking space on Park Street, but I think some of the issue has been the uh, addition of the parklets, the, and, and then we've had the removal of parking spaces. So on one hand, we have the city removing parking spaces, but now, if I understand you correctly, we're going to increase the price to pay in the few parking spaces that are left, because I don't know how you ever get down to 85% uh, occupancy. Uh, so, so how does that work then? The city take, will continue to take away parking spaces and then charge more for the few spaces that are left? Uh, one thing I could mention that's not, well, it's a little bit related to this grant, but um, the city has, you all, have approved a million dollars um, investment into the um, Civic Center parking structure in the Park Street area. So that is a place where there are parking spaces available <laughs> and the city is investing money to make that um, a more appealing place to be. Um, and then this grant also covers uh, replacing the system in that garage for um, counting how many spaces are available. So that would be updated and accurate. Um, the light on the outside of the garage saying you, there are plenty of spaces in here. And then it also covers having wayfinding signage to uh, our off-street opportunities so that people can um, find where those spaces are available in, in the places that you're going. May I continue, Mayor? You may. Does it include security at the uh, parking structure? Any, any uh, sort of security? Because that's a complaint I hear is, in fact, uh, you know, your car being uh, damaged if you park there? The, the grant does not cover security, but the, the CIP that I was just speaking about is, is really focused on improving the security in the garage. So what, when, you, when you say that, what type of security could it go to? Um, like a security guard? I'm going to let um, Director Smith come to yeah. speak to that. Thank you. Public Works Director Aaron Smith is approaching. Welcome. Good evening, Mayor, members of the Council. Um, Aaron Smith, Public Works Director. So yes, there's a million dollar investment that we are designing the improvements for the Civic Center parking garage. One of the primary um, objectives of that is the ability to close the garage overnight which is when a lot of the vandalism happens. So we'll be modifying the first floor so that it can have a retractable gate where the vehicles access as well as it kind of has open air floor on the bottom. So we'll be modifying that and then we'll also putting in a gate um, that will block off the top fifth and sixth floors and dedicate that for employee parking only, which will also um, uh, reduce the amount of loitering and sort of the, some of the unwanted behaviors that were happening at the top. Um, there's also going to be light improvements. We'll be painting it so it, it'll be brighter um, inside, the ability to remove graffiti. It'll be set, the infrastructure will be set that then we can discuss whether we need ongoing security while the facility is open. The million dollars does not include a security guard as part of those upfront capital investments. What about cameras? Um, there actually already are cameras right now. Um, the project does not. Uh, provide additional cameras, but there are existing cameras in the garage. Thank you. Sure. 
While we're on the uh, topic of security, and we were talking about ferry um, parking lots, I have noticed um, in social media, I'll read that uh, people parked at, I think, Seaplane Lagoon Ferry Terminal have had their car windows broken. Is there anything we can do to improve security at the ferry parking? Yeah, sure. Um, so staff are working with WIDA right now to, on a funding strategy that would provide security at all the terminals for approximately two years or so while um, we get paid parking up and running to possibly cover that cost as well. So, and this grant, while it doesn't cover um, security costs, it does help us set up that paid parking that could in the future fund having an on-site security guard during um, WIDA operating hours. Thank you. Um, any further clarifying questions, Councilmember? So in regards to the ferry parking at Bay Farm, there are people that park there to use the park. Um, would they still be required to pay to park there? Yes, the, and the, we, we will bring you a strategy, but the draft strategy that we did had an hourly rate in addition to a daily rate, so that somebody just coming for a couple hours would pay more like 75 cents an hour and not having to pay the whole day rate. Thank you. All right. Um, any further clarifying questions from council before we go to public comment? Madam Clerk, public comment with uh, the usual caveats. Uh, yes, um, we have uh, three in person, uh, Paul Bustarian, Karen Miller, and Kathy Weber with Paul up first. Okay, welcome Speaker Bustarian. Hi, it's Paul Bustarian again. Just a few quick comments. Um, I take the ferry and work in San Francisco, and this is kind of timely because uh, at my company, a bunch of other Alamedans are there as well, and today in the chat group that we have was a discussion about how today was the first day since the pandemic that the Harbor Bay parking lot was filled up, and also people at Seaplane Lagoon said they had to park further back than they had before. Uh, so, so yeah, it's pretty timely. We need to figure out parking because it's only going to increase because the ferry is a great way to commute. Um, the thing I would like to request is we think about the on-demand on, different by days because the, the traffic is very different on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday versus Monday, Friday, where it's pretty empty. So I'm hoping we can adjust things so that um, based on where the demand really is, and it is different on the different days. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker. Karen Miller. Welcome, Speaker Miller. Thank you. Um, I'm just really puzzled by why your, your main emphasis is trying to get people on public transportation, and now you're going to make it more expensive for them. It makes no sense to me. Um, let's try to keep people taking the ferry and not deciding to drive their car because they're adding a parking fee and the ferry fee. Just my opinion. Thank you. Our next speaker. Kathy Weber. Welcome, Speaker Weber. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and Council Members and City Staff. Um, I am uh, Kathy Weber, Executive Director with the Downtown Alameda Business Association. And we are supportive of exploring the possibilities and opportunities that this grant presents, um, particularly uh, directional parking so that people, visitors, can see where public parking is available in our downtown district. Also, in, including um, the enhancements and upgrades to the Civic Center parking garage, and also the enhancements for curb painting and those other um, initiatives that might be included in this grant. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, 
Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Good evening again. Um, I just want to remind everyone that grants are not free money. Some taxpayer subplace paid that, those funds. So we're not getting free money when we get a grant. We've actually contributed to it. Uh, the other thing is I would like to see a complete package presented uh, before the council approves it. I mean, we don't know uh, how is the outreach going to be done. Very few of Alameda citizens read The Sun or any other local uh, publication. Uh, a lot of people don't use social media. Uh, so people need to know ahead of time what's going what's gonna to be, uh, be happening. And to a certain extent, this is manipulation of the public, manipulation of where they park, when they park, and uh, I understand that that's sort of a bureaucrat's mandate is to manipulate the public, but I really think that it's premature to approve this without knowing really what you're gonna be approving. Thank you. Thank you, our next speaker. That was our last speaker. With that, we have closed public comment on item 5M, right? M? Yes. Okay, um, Councilor Vela. Um, Madam Mayor, I'm, I'm going to be moving approval of this item, and, and I, I did hear uh, from a fellow ferry rider, this was actually not the first day that the parking lot was filled. I've, I've gone a couple of other times, um, and we are working on our transit connectors um, and uh, trying to make sure that we're getting that first and last mile. We're also trying to make our streets safer for multimodal trans transportation so that that first and last mile can be done by foot or by bike. Um, the last couple of times, actually, I've taken Harbor Bay Ferry um, over to meetings in San Francisco. I've, I've actually taken the bus and then walked, knowing that the parking lot was going to be full. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think not, it's not perfect, but we're getting there, and we're, we're trying to improve, and we're trying to continuously improve, and really, that's what this grant is going to allow us. And it's not going to be implemented without having robust um, conversations with the public. So. Um, kind of concerns that we're hearing around what's the cost going to be, what, what's it going to look like, um, and to the concerns of, well, you know, isn't it cheaper? It's, it's actually way faster to take the ferry to San Francisco um, than it is to, to, uh, to drive over. You aren't paying for parking in the city. You don't have to worry about finding parking in the city. You don't have to pay the bridge toll. We've seen other costs go up, and this is really a conversation around are we subsidizing parking or are we trying to help facilitate to make sure that the parking that we do have is offered in a, in a way that's safe and accessible, clearly demarcated and, and maintained, um, and um, those come at costs, um, as well as also trying to expand other ways of, of getting to and from locations, whether it be through public transit or through biking and walking. So um, with great appreciation to the work that I know staff will be doing <laughs> to make sure that this is implemented correctly, um, uh, I, I want to move approval on, of item 5N. Thank you for the motion. Um, I am also supportive of this and, and grateful to staff. Um, do we have a second for the council comments? We haven't gotten to our regular agenda yet, so let's keep it moving. Who's next? Um, let me just see if anybody on this side. Okay, no comments from you? No comments from you? Okay, Councilor Harris Spencer, back to you. And we, of course, we need a second for the motion as well. I also have a question in regards to it says local match. So what is, can you describe how the match works? Yeah, sure. It's going to be about $100,000 from our parking fund and then another about $90,000 in existing in-kind city staff salaries. It's about 20% of the grant is from a match 
combination of in-kind and, and local funding. So it's not a match of the 740,000. So the total expense is about 927,000. That includes the grant of 742,000, about 100,000 of actual money from the parking fund, and then 86,000 of in-kind staff time. Uh, thank you. All right, do I have a second for the motion? Second by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Opposed. All right, that passes four to one. Thank you, everyone. Okay, Madam Clerk, let's keep this moving. Where are we? 7A. <laughs> okay, would you introduce 7A, please? Workshop to provide direction on depaved park design options, including the proposed remodel of Building 29 and whether to keep or remove Building 25. The environmental effects of the design options have been addressed previously in an approved environmental impact report, and therefore no additional environmental review is necessary concerning council direction on this item, section 15162-15163 of the California Environmental Quality Act. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and welcome, Director Long. Do you want to introduce yourself for some who might not have met you yet? Sure. Good evening, uh, Mayor Ashcraft and Council members. My name is Justin Long. I'm the Recreation Parks Director here for the City of Alameda. And tonight we're here to talk about Depave Park, which is located on Alameda Point. Um, and we're here to present uh, three design options to you and give you some context of the project and sort of the timeline, and we'll start there. Um, so the initial idea of, of Depave Park uh, first appeared in the precise, uh, the precise plan in 2014, identifying the site as a potential park space. So uh, in spring of 2020, uh, the City Council approved to prioritize Depave Park as one of our projects. Uh, and then in the fall, we brought uh, to City Council the vision plan, which was approved there. Um, and then uh, we received grant funding for $800,000 from the San Francisco Restoration Bay Authority so that uh, we could do uh, community outreach, project views, uh, come up with design concepts, and then bring us all the way up to 30% uh, design documents, also help with permitting process. Right here is from the precise plan, um, and it identifies in oval in the dash mark the actual the site on the western edge of Seaplane Lagoon. Um, as you can see, for just some larger context of the different areas that we have, there's the north, or the regional park on the Northwest Territory to the upper left, uh, the VA uh, health clinic that is proposed in Columbarium there in the middle, and the city. Uh, Bellamia Sports Complex right up there to the top side there. Uh, the dark green that continues along the, the northern edge of Seaplane Lagoon is the promenade of which the Seaplane Park is already the first segment has been built um, and that will connect to Depave Park eventually. So for a bird's eye view to give you a little bit more perspective of the area, you can see Seaplane Lagoon Ferry Terminal there. Uh, we've outlined Depave Park location in the background. Behind that, you can see the Veterans Affairs wetlands, uh, the least turn nesting site out there a little bit further on the tarmac, and then approximately the location of the Veterans Columbarium and Hospital. And then to our right, we see the outline was Seaplane Lagoon Promenade and future phases, as well as the first phase of Seaplane Lagoon on our right-hand side there. I'm sorry, point of order. There's a private conversation happening between a council member and the city manager during his presentation, and I'd rather... Yes, uh, that does happen from time to time on this dais, and I would prefer that it doesn't. Um, so let's let the speaker continue. Thank you. All right, thank you. Um, 
what you're looking at here is an outline of our project site, and we want to identify a few key features in here. Um, in the, and, you know, bear with me, I'm red and green colorblind, so oh. the, the dashed lines with the buildings here. Um, <laughs> it, we'll identify the two different buildings. The one furthest out toward the, the bay is actually building 29. Uh, and it just sort of identifies that there. Behind that is the Veteran Affairs wetland um, and also the expanded wetland on that side as well. Um, in between the two buildings in the blue there is the ancillary structures that were all there to sort of support the other two buildings during the, uh, the military base operations. Um, and then what you're gonna see is there we've located a connection point where there will be eventually a seasonal bay trail that will connect to Deephave Park, which will be able to circumnavigate all the way around the entire military base, so you'll be able to do that seasonally. Um, and then the large building in the front there on the corner is Building 25 that is currently occupied by a number of Alameda businesses and tenants such as um, Dash Sellers, um, uh, Alameda Soda Company, um, and, and several others Urban we'll talk legend. about here in the future. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And so uh, what we're identifying here is just really sort of like the context of the area of the, the park here. Um, <clears throat> as we move forward, um, what we're identifying in this slide is you're gonna be looking at Building 29. And as we look at developing this as an ecological park and wildlife park, what you're going to see is that uh, we are not recommending keeping Building 29 because it was not included in the, the infrastructure master plan. So there was never an intent to protect that building through in, in, in bringing out modern utilities or uh, building a levy around it to protect it. So if we were to keep it, you know, it's about a $6 million increase in cost to this project in order to provide the levy, access to it, as well as um, be able to protect that. But another major negative to this, this aspect of keeping this building is it really reduces the high quality natural environment that specifically a lot of uh, bird species need to have. As you can see in that dark green area in the middle where uh, they, they generally want a 50 foot buffer from access to people. And so what this does is greatly reduces the amount that, of that space that would actually exist. So the other great aspect about this park is it's an adaptive park. It's going to adapt to sea level rise as we move forward. So uh, we all do know here that you know, we're, we're having to plan for this in the future. And so this park perfectly does that as, as it moves forward and as the sea does rise, uh, we'll, there will be an elevated boardwalk built on the main segment that will continue to bring people out and still be able to access that environment as that part uh, continues. Um, you'll also note that um, as we start to go through, these are the types of environments that people will actually get access to. They'll see, they'll be able to get out there, they'll be able to see different types of habitat, different types of species, um, and really get a chance to uh, experience that part of nature in a very urban setting. Uh, we're also gonna provide areas for overlooks, for educational opportunities, for the public to get out there, um, and also have different over, uh, interactions with different types of environments. Here's an example of the area that will be closest to the uh, sort of the northwest corner of Seaplane Lagoon where we're actually gonna reuse a lot of the concrete to build sort of this seating area. Uh, it'll also incorporate a picnic area. Uh, you know, this is where all the main real facilities for the heavy interaction will happen for people. Um, and again, this is just another example of what that environment will look like as there's gonna be pedestrians, bikeways, and 
access and walking paths all the way out through the, to the end of this park. <laughs> so we're gonna go over the three options and the majority of, of the options in all three uh, are consistent with the development closest to that corner we were talking about. They all have the overlooks, they all have that uh, sort of uh, seating area with access to a larger beach area with a ramp down there. Um, there will also be a restroom facility at this location. So again, all the real human heavy activities will occur on this corner to keep it as far away from sort of the wildlife areas that we're trying to create. And in this option, you'll see that the, the levee next to the building and the parking lot is located relatively close. And what it's trying to do is to do add as much um, sort of naturalized wetland that we can, but also protect that, that building as we move forward. In this option, you're going to be looking at increasing the amount of space that is available to uh, the building uh, that will include areas for natural play areas, gathering spaces, um, you know, uh, even potential educational opportunities that will take place there. But what it does is it reduces a little bit of the amount of the wetland that can be actually created by keeping that, that's, that area right next to that, that building. But it does increase sort of the the human side of that and giving them a little bit more space to utilize. And then in option three, we're showing you an option that has building 25 removed with this maximizes the amount of uh, environmental space that's available and natural habitat that is created. However, there is an additional cost to this. And so um, one of the things to consider around that is it adds about $2 million to the project in order for the, or $2.5 million for the demolition of the building, as well as the um, construction of the, the levee and the connection points there. So one of the reasons why we're here is to seek really your direction tonight to discuss the opportunity of, do we uh, get your guidance to keep the building, or do we look at um, removing the structure? So that's one of the real reasons why we're here. Um, and, but I also wanna talk about the number of public outreach that we've done. We had five in-person events, we did one online, and then we also had two surveys with over a thousand respondents to this. Um, so here's, here's some images of those. We did several of them on site. We also did several drop-in events so that uh, when there was an event going out there that we could get additional comment. So looking at the community feedback, <laughs> You know, it's, it's sort of a split. There was a, a, a good option of the combined when we tallied everything together that, you know, there was a slight increase to preserve the building. Um, most of the people really wanted sort of that nature play. They liked, they liked all the aspects of that outdoor part of the environment and that part of the project. And, you know, trying to expand on that. So what we were trying to do with these different options was to provide you guys with some options for, you know, how do we expand this park and sort of the next steps moving forward. Um, so once, once we have the meeting tonight, we will then uh, take those comments, refine it back down to one, and then bring back a final design in the spring of 2024. And with that, I'll open it up for comments. Thank you, Mr. Long, nice presentation. And I will say, um, I got to attend the Transportation Commission meeting when you presented on this, so it's kind of nice to see it twice. Because um, I try to, in the course of a year, attend one of every board and commission meeting. It just happened to come up. So, Council, before we go to our public comment, do we have any questions, clarifying questions? Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Director Long. Um, if you could go back to the picture that shows uh, what 
what, what this will look like and show where we will be able to park to access uh, the, the um, new park, okay. how many spaces will be available, and is that long ramp ADA accessible? The, the, the ramp will be accessible. Um, I'm trying or to motorized, get it to happen, uh, What happened to the presentation? I know, I'm trying to get it to come back. There it is. Phew. <laughs> So you wanted to get to the, okay, let's look at the parking. Yeah, that. So in the different options, so currently we're looking at utilizing, uh, building a parking lot that's, a, so if you look at sort of option one, we're gonna be having parking that's adjacent to building 25, but then there'll also be a smaller parking lot added on the other side of building 25 that'll help uh, assist with parking for this park. So parking currently for building 25, quite often they have overflow parking in that entire area. So where will their parking be then if we keep that building? So, so if we keep that building, it's going to be a shared parking lot together. So hopefully the two um, parking areas will assist with that overflow. So has anyone counted these spaces and what's currently used out there um, to compare? I, I believe the designers have, and they've tried to make it as consistent as possible with adding a, a few extra. It actually appears to be significantly less. I've gone out there, I think a lot of us have for events, and we end up parking way down, uh, far from the uh, wineries to attend the events. I, I, would, I would preface this with the, the majority of the uh, area that is currently the overflow parking space is the part that is part of the picnic currently on this design and slightly to the, uh, the, the southern edge there. Um, there will also be, as the uh, portion gets built out along Seaplane Lagoon, there will be additional parking that will be provided as those, those parcels are built out on the backside there. So the part that's in between both um, the buildings you see here as well as the, uh, where the future Seaplane Lagoon promenade will be. So there will be other space there as well in the future. So on the long ramp, uh, will it be separated between pedestrians and bicycles? And then where do the ADA-assisted uh, vehicles go? So th what's shown on that drawing is that that center pathway is about 25 feet wide. So it'll be a combination path. And as we get further down a design development, we will look at how those two uh, both pedestrians and bicycles, as well as the handicapped accessible uh, uh, motorized uh, chairs uh, can access and have good directional flow in that. Okay, and it's my understanding that motorized bicycles can be ridden on the bike trail, so uh, you would also be accommodating those uh, on this pathway? I think what we all have to look at is on those combination of those motorized bikes is as we develop these uh, these parks, these park designs, is to really look at how um, we integra integrate those bicycles, because even the personal bicycles can travel relatively quickly, just like an electric bicycle can. So I think we have to take careful attention at how we look at that. We may even, as again, this is a design development that we may actually end up having, you know, a separated path right adjacent to it as well. Thank you. Any other clarifying questions before we go to public comment? Councilmember Jensen. I I think you answered the, the bicycle parking. Um, that was my question. I, I understand there will be vehicle parking, um, and 
we want to ensure that sufficient vehicles can park, I guess, but I want to make sure that there's bicycle parking and. Oh yes, the bicycle, there will be plenty of bicycle racks and bicycle parking provided in all projects that we are developing moving forward, but specifically we thought about this a lot for this project. Thanks. All right. Um, any clarifying questions? Okay, let's go to public comment, Madam Clerk. Okay, and I'll call five in person so that they can come up and get organized. Um, Irene Dieter, Richard Banger, Rick Lewis, Cheryl Nelson Embry and Robert Bezek with Irene up first. And does that mean two minutes per speaker? Yes. Yeah. Oh, we have many more. So many it's two more minutes. Speaker. Thank okay. you for All that right. clarification. Okay. Welcome, Speaker Dieter. Hi, Mayor and City Council members. This is a great opportunity that you have before you tonight. It is your chance to be visionaries. It is your chance to look at the long term versus the short term. It's your chance to stand up for the environment and to also stand up for the economic health of the city. As you all know that if you are on the east side of the Seaplane Lagoon, looking out at the viewshed of San Francisco Bay, there's only one obstruction, and that is Building 25. And um, it's really hard on trying to get investors to uh, invest in Alameda when they all look there and go, what is that big box? And so I urge you to support our, um, to urge you to tell staff to work on option three as the, the focal point. I think that um, it is the best option that's before you and um, I, uh, think that um, it is a way in which you can look at our long term, that it's not about a short term. I understand that people don't want to lose a drinking establishment out there, but I have 100% confidence in city staff that they will work with the current tenants there so that customers can go elsewhere for the same um, benefits. But I think ultimately this is really about creating a world-class park where we can attract a lot of grant dollars um, and also attract a lot of investors on the east side of the uh, Seaplane Lagoon. So I encourage you to support option three. Thank you, our next speaker. Richard Banger. Welcome, Speaker Banger. Thank you, Mayor and members of the council and uh, special thank you to city staff and the consultant and their team for bringing this project to the stage that it's at tonight. I'd like to speak in favor of option three and I'd like to do that by referencing one inherent shortcoming of the survey and polling. And that is that there is one stakeholder group that could not participate, and that is wildlife. And I would offer that if they had a chance to vote, you know which option they would choose. It would be option three, the maximum space for wildlife. And I think it's not asking a whole lot to add three more acres to this ecological park to try and undo some of the 
damage that we as a single species have done to the environment around the bay over the course of hundreds of years. It's not a big ask, and I think the significance of making it one complete nature area without any commercial structures would be a great day for Alameda. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Rick Lewis. Welcome, Speaker Lewis. Yeah, hi, my name's Rick Lewis. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I think um, what the previous speaker said, I would have to second. Um, I, I would urge the council to move, move and vote for option three. And that is because um, businesses have options. They figure out ways, they have choices. The wildlife doesn't have any options. Now is the time to make the move. Um, if we don't do it now, probably not going to happen, and wildlife habitat has been parceled out, um, I don't have any percentages, but really drastically. And so wildlife corridors are really important, and what are wildlife corridors? They are areas that exist in between human habitation, and those corridors are essential to, um, to residents, to um, rare birds, to endangered birds, to all the wildlife here in Alameda. And so the, the more corridors we have, the more healthy and vibrant the wildlife's gonna be. The more healthy and vibrant the wildlife's gonna be, the more healthy and vibrant we are. And so to have Building 25 there to interject itself in the middle of an ecological park just does not make sense. Now is the time to move. And so I would urge you to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Cheryl Nelson-Embry. Welcome, Speaker Nelson-Embry. Hello. It's really nice to be able to speak with all of you. Um, in my time here in Alameda since 1991, I was the supervising naturalist at the Crab Cove Visitor Center. Oh. And uh, now I volunteer my time since I retired. And I was just out at uh, the L.C. Romer uh, bird sanctuary with some sixth graders this morning and we were admiring all of the bird life that exists there and when I think about Deep Haven Park and the possibilities that exist there for us to have a full nature park with unobstructed views of San Francisco from that area and the kind of wildlife that would come and be able to live there and thrive um, wildlife like the California least tern that nests nearby, as well as all of the shorebirds. Um, you know, 90% of the wetlands around San Francisco Bay is gone from the time of the gold rush until now. It's just diminished. <clears throat> and so we have a chance now to add a little bit more, but that little bit can make all the difference for the wildlife. So I urge you to get rid of Building 25 and make a full nature park for us and for the kids that live here in the future. Thank you. Our next speaker, Robert Bezik. Welcome, Speaker Bezik. Yeah, thank you very much, Madam, Madam Mayor, Council, Council members, staff. Um, you heard some great testimony today about uh, Option three, I'm here obviously to, to promote option three as well, but I have a few different angles or different uh, perspectives on it. 
Um, I come to you as an environmental professional. I come to you as a disaster management professional. And, um, and I also live on Alameda Point. I have a very strong, strong interest in Alameda Point. I've been to several of the meetings. The staff put on some great meetings out there on the site. Um, couple things. Building 25 and 29 are just liabilities to the city. They're both in the 100-year floodplain. They're in a seismic area. They're in a tsunami zone. There's all these things that stack up. Currently, I work for FEMA as a mitigation professional in the headquarters. I'm a policy analyst. And if I was to come to a community, I would say the best option is to remove these structures because they're just going to be a continual liability eventually. It's not that a flood won't when a, when, that a flood won't happen, it's when will it happen. So these buildings are clearly in, in the 100-year flood zone. Um, I will say that FEMA right now has some very, very strong grants. Their BRIC grant program, their HMGP program, these are 75, 25% cost shares. There's a big emphasis on solution, nature-based solutions. This park, in my mind, fits <coughs> nicely into that. You could remove these buildings, restore that area, as long as you have a, a positive cost-benefit ratio, which I'm sure you would. Um, you know, there's some good grant opportunities. I also want to say, you know, in our nation, we have a, there's a, and even Alameda, we have a concept of resilience out there, a resilient nation. FEMA has a resilient coordinator. We're, we're trying to make our community more resilient. And removing these structures, both of them, and doing the ecological park makes most sense. Long term, that VA property, I used to manage it. That 500 acres out there is designated as a conservation management area. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. I'm back. Um, I think it's a beautiful uh, project, uh, whichever one you choose. I think if the wildlife were able to vote, they would vote for no uh, new structures out there at all. The paths would be removed. The whole area would be uh, left uh, to the wildlife. But that's not the issue here. If you do vote, if you do vote to tell the staff to work on option three, then you are in essence voting tonight to use option three. There's no way that a year from now you're going to come back and say, hmm, what about option two or what about option one? So I would be cautious about uh, giving direction to uh, follow a certain uh, option. Um, I have a couple of questions. One is, does any of this fall under BCDC or do you already have their approval? Uh, another question is, I understand that some of the coastline is under state uh, control. I mean, it's some ancient condition put on the property along the uh, waterfront and whether the state is involved at all. Um, and are there any recreation facilities or are they located elsewhere on the point? I know that there are some soccer fields. Uh, are there any facilities that are going to be included in any of these options? Uh, I think they all look good. Um, and I think that uh, while some people don't like the building there, um, it looks like it's going to cost twice as much to remove it uh, as it would be to uh, fix it up. One was like a million and a half, and the other was like something over two million. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, uh, Julia Dowell. In, in person? Uh, remote. Fine. Remote. Welcome, Speaker Dowell. 
Hi, good evening, Honorable Mayor and Council Members. My name is Julia Dowell, and I'm with San Francisco Baykeeper. Baykeeper has participated in the stakeholder group since the visioning plan for this ecological park was created. And as one of the scientific leads, we met with city staff and consultants to help describe the benefits of this park for Alameda, including how it will protect this community against climate change impacts. Nearly 85% of the Bay's historical wetlands have been destroyed by development. We are happy to see Alameda begin to rewild its shorelines and restore the many benefits wetlands can provide. We hope that other cities will follow Alameda's lead and rewild their shorelines, creating buffers for sea level rise, enhancing biodiversity, and increasing community resilience to climate change. We encourage this council to choose option three and remove Building 25 from DePave Park, pending relocation of existing businesses into other suitable warehouse space. This action provides more connectivity for wildlife, increases the site's ability to accommodate to rising tides, and increases the potential for natural carbon sequestration on site. The vision for this site is an ecological park that will adapt to sea level rise, and leaving Building 25 intact is counter to the purpose of this park. The, this building will be inundated by groundwater as sea levels rise, and the levee required to protect Building 25 will only protect against surface water. As groundwater infiltrates the site, the levee will create a moat, and the building will ultimately have to be removed regardless. We hope that you will prioritize nature and support option three to protect Alameda into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Steve Schaefer. Welcome, Speaker Schaefer. Good evening. Thank you, uh, Mayor and City Council for uh, and staff for allowing me to speak. Um, I am the co-owner of Urban Legend, who is the master tenant for the two wineries out there. Um, just wanted to make a couple of points. Um, the uncertainty around this has already caused um, our business some harm, and I would urge the council to make a firm decision and move forward. Um, we rather naturally would like to see our facility continue through the end of our lease and option to 2031, um, but understand the desire to move forward. Um, I think a couple of things to point out, um, there is a fair amount of value that will be destroyed by taking the building down. It is one of the youngest buildings out in the point um, it is a unique proposition for us. We spent three years in selecting that building and have spent the last six years investing in it and making it a world-class winery. So um, in summary, please make a decision firmly. If you must uh, take the building down, um, I would ask that the staff begin negotiations immediately on what would happen uh, with our businesses. Thank you. Our next speaker, Ruth Abbey. Welcome, Speaker Abbey. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. I'm Ruth Abbey from the Steering Committee of the Community Action for Sustainable Alameda. We really encourage the city to find space at Spirit Alley for the tenants of Building 25 and other space at Alameda Point for the tenants of Building 29. 
Deep Paved Park has the potential to be a demonstration site for climate adaptation, welcoming the water and transforming the concrete at the west end of the Seaplane Lagoon into a wetland waterfront park. Um, these buildings at the site are inconsistent with the long-term use of the site, as um, spoken to by other speakers, and Alameda really must prepare for climate change and raise awareness for adaptation and mitigation. Project, projects like Deepay Park not only provide educational opportunities for Alameda residents and school children, but also demonstrate the city's leadership in addressing climate change. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker, um, Eric Robbins. Welcome, Speaker Robbins. Hello, my name is Eric Robbins. Um, I am actually a commissioner on the Recreation and Park Commission, but I'm coming to you tonight as a uh, seventh, eighth grade science teacher at Wood Middle School. I had um, spoken with uh, Ms. Woldridge about the survey and the lack of students or younger people um, submitting their thoughts about the survey. And I'm very happy to say that with the last survey that was done, 20% of the submissions were from seventh, eighth grade science students at Wood Middle School. Over 155 students uh, submitted their thoughts about which of the three options should be used. 65% of the students said that option three would be the best, 25% said option two, and about 10% were either vague or um, said uh, option one because they just didn't care. <laughs> but what I'd like to emphasize is that the students recognize, uh, and, and um, no offense to the current tenants of the building that spoke earlier, but they've been tenants for uh, a few years and the animals in this area have been around for millions of years. And we need, because of the fact that we've destroyed over 85% of our wetlands, we need to start thinking globally and act locally to help with preserving wildlife in Alameda. So don't think short-term about the short-term costs and look at what the full um, costs are because they're actually cheaper for the city in the long run to get rid of the building. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, we'll go back to five in person. Uh, Linda Caroloni. Jeff Manker, Peter Dreyfus, Diana Markensinus, and Tim Letistico. Hi, is this, can you hear me? You Go ahead and bring that down, make it yours. Bring it down to I'm the short. level you need, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, first I just wanna thank, go back a little bit in time and thank Ms. the Ms. tilt it up just a little bit and walk in a little closer. And okay, hear here? Okay, I wanna thank the mayor the city council, and most of all, the city staff, the Rex and Parks Department, and the wonderful consultants that they hired. They have brought DPA Park this far, and it has so much potential. It has the potential to be a true gem of nature restoration for the people and the wildlife of Alameda Point, of this whole city of Alameda, and really of the Bay Area. Building Dave, as so many people have said, we have destroyed so much nature. And I know you've heard all the statistics about how you know we've lost something um, north of 30% of bird life. 
Um, people talk about insect life is undergoing an apocalypse. We need nature. If we don't have nature, eventually we won't have us. So Deep Cave Park will restore a tiny bit of those wetlands and marshes, and we hardly ever get the chance to restore wetlands. I think we should make the most of this chance, this precious chance that we've got. We need to treat Deephaven Park as a true ecological place. I hope that the council will give direction to the staff to pursue option three um, so we can all get closer to nature, so we can teach our children about nature, and so that we can protect and preserve the habitat and the wildlife we have left. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Our next speaker, Jeff Manker. Welcome, Speaker Mayor. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> That's why it's adjustable. Thank you, Mayor and <laughs> Council Members. Uh, my name is Jeff Manker. Uh, I'm new to Alameda. I've been here about two years. I'm a retired science teacher. Before I retired, I taught the only year-long high school ornithology class in California. I developed it myself through with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. The kids love birding, every kid. Uh, probably 90% of my students will become birder, will remain birders the rest of their lives. And in retirement here in Alameda, I also, like Cheryl, I'm gonna work with sixth graders. I have been off and on. I've worked with Bay Farm School, I've worked with Wood, and so on. I take them out birding, and they love it. It's a great way to connect to nature. And I think by choosing option three, we'll have a better chance for more birds out there. And I wanna explain why that's important. If you leave building 25 in the middle of that ecological space, it gives a lot of room for predators. And so you're setting up the birds that need rest, that need nutrients, that need time to spend time in the marsh and the, the, the shoreline and so on to rest. It's an important uh, migration stopover. And so by leaving that building there, we have peregrine falcons here, the fastest bird in the world. They kill and eat all kinds of stuff. We have merlins, we have red-tailed hawks, we have ravens that prey on the birds out there, and that gives them a perfect perch to do so. So if we take it out, we can utilize more of that space, or the birds can utilize more of that space, and they'll do better. So for the kids, it's a great space, and for the birds, if we remove Building 25. So please vote for option three. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Peter Dreyfus. Welcome, Speaker Dreyfus. Mayor, manager, city council people, Peter Dreyfus. I'm the manager of the other eyesore, Building 29. What's the matter? You, you brought up 25. Uh, I just want to say thank you. It's been 22 years at Alameda Point with our hardy band of 11 or 12 craftsmen, fabricators, welders, who have been happily making stuff and running businesses in first for 11 years in uh, 450 West Atlantic, building 13, and then the Navy kicked us out, and now we found the best machine shop in the world. I'm not here to argue against the demolition. It's way too late for that. I agree. I know. Uh, all I would ask is <coughs> if you could be gentle with us. Give us 12 months notice. 
give us, uh, we, have, we have a lease through for another three and a half years, plus or minus, if you could give us, depending on your funding, a year or two or three after that. I don't know how it goes, but we had a couple of good meetings with Amy Woolrich and discussed those alternatives. Other than that, I just want to say that Google, McConney, Rockwall, Wrightspeed, all those huge companies, they come and go. We're here 22 years later. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? Uh, Diana Marcasinas. Welcome. And call our next speaker, too. So when you hear Tim. your name, just be ready to come on up. After that is Tim uh, Leistico. Okay. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for this opportunity. Same uh, echo of Peter. I'm an artist in the space of Building 29. I'm so glad that I've been able to be there and experience the birds have been, it's amazing out there. It's a beautiful space. Um, I do sadly want to say that I feel the renderings are quite unrealistic as to how they space will actually look, as in what I've been told that the chain link fence will not be removable. Um, and that is quite a visual disturbance in terms of what we saw tonight and what you would see standing out there. So from an artistic point of view, as an artist, I feel there's a few oversights in the plan for the park. I think there's a, a just a handful of things that could really make the park a much better space and more useful space. Um, and as Peter, to echo what Peter said, uh, the idea that we do need time and we are human beings that are existing in that awesome space that we're hoping you can be generous and give us you know, as much time as possible. Um, we had a great meeting where we were able to talk about all the different, um, well, not all the different, but the top three <laughs> things that we as creators need. Um, and that building really provides that for us. And it seems there could be maybe another space that would allow for that. So thank you for your time. And I hope that you can consider a couple details of the park and not make it um, a wasted space. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Tim Listico. Welcome. Mayor, council members, staff. I'm one of the uh, folks out that has a uh, shop in uh, Building 29. It's a hobby shop for me. I'm a construction manager. But uh, it would seem to me that option three is good. I would, um, you know, I just, the people that make their living in Building 29, it's very important for them. And it would seem to me that some, some design modifications could be made to leave Building 29 because it's at the end of the road and it wouldn't affect the wetlands that much. You'd have a minimal traffic to that building. But anyway, uh, I've, um, you know, I'm a resident of uh, Alameda and uh, I've been at Building 29 for 12 years. Um, Peter wanted me to say that uh, invite all of you to come out and have a look, see what goes on there. It's a 
good kind of work, artisan, craftspeople. Anyway, I uh, request that you vote to leave the, the lease in place as it is and give us a year notice. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is remote, uh, Karen Bay. Welcome, Speaker Bay. Good evening, um, Mayor, City Council uh, staff. Um, I am really excited to see the DePave project move forward. And I'd also like to thank CMG for an awesome design. I think we can have both. Um, I'd like to see us keep building 25 at DePave Park. I think it would be nice to enjoy a world-class winery while at the same time enjoying the park and the wonderful views. Um, if we do keep building 25, I think it would be important to do some <clears throat> building improvements so that it fits in with the new design. Um, finally, I, I think we should not forget that we're also going to get a, I think, 100, 150-acre regional park with uh, the uh, East Bay Regional Park. <clears throat> so I think there's a way we can have it all. And I would hate to lose the winery, the Building 25 at, uh, in that area. I think it would create, would add to the destination and um, improve Spirits Alley by keeping uh, the winery at the paid park. So thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Our next speaker. And that was our final. Okay, with that, we will close public comment on item 7A, and we'll open it up to council comments. Let's start on the other side of the dais this time. Councilmember Member Jensen, go ahead. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I'm the mayor, is, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Madam <laughs> Mayor Chair. Madam. I guess I'm chairing the meeting. <laughs> well, you're also the chair. I am. Nice to meet um, you. I, I appreciate the staff report, and um, I really did learn a lot. And, and all of the people who came out tonight, the, especially the people who have um, a, a, a stake as, as, um, as people and artisans and, and business owners at the site of DPA Park. Um, I wanted to first ask, because I did have some clarifying questions that I didn't ask, so I um, asked staff to come back and um, answer a couple of questions, and then I'll and provide you know, some. If you, uh, what I might suggest, too, is we, we have the um, consultant, correct? In the, yes, the There you are, the yes, well, we yes. met. So yes. why don't you come on up, too, just in case there's some technical questions that you can also answer. And, and if you speak, you'll introduce yourself first. But um, Mr. Long, why don't you start? Okay, back to Councilmember Jensen. Thank you. Um, so my questions, um, my first questions have to do with actually with the buildings. Um, how much of Building 25 and 29, both of the buildings are rather large buildings. Can you, um, or, and this, I, I'm interested to know how much of those buildings are in use or whether there's any um, excess capacity or whether the buildings are fully used. Building 25 is fully occupied, and Building 29 is primarily completely used as well. So there isn't any empty space, so all the square footage is in use? All the square footage sides. is primarily in use, yes. Thanks, and um, with regard to both buildings, is there any, are there any habitability or structural conditions at either building that um, have, 
would you anticipate or that would be necessary to be addressed in the next, before the end of the leases? Um, building 29 probably has the most um, work required. Um, we're anticipating probably about, if I'm correct, uh, Amy, it's about $150,000 we had planned for making very basic upgrades to if we were to keep it. I don't think we had a number for building 29. And we, by the way, this is our assistant city manager, Amy Wildridge. Welcome. Thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, for building um, 25, we assumed a, a number, but really was a placeholder number of 400,000 for improvements. Um, I would say building 29 needs significantly more repair than building 25. Thank you. The, um, with regard to building 29 or, and depending on the option building 25, are there, what are the options for relocating the tenants of building 25 and building 29? Um, we've had some preliminary conversations with the base uh, development, uh, but I can ask Abby to come up, our director of development for the base to come up and speak more to that if you would like. Yeah, I can start an initial um, response, and, and we have base uh, reuse and economic de development director here as well. Um, uh, we, we, I, I met with, with tenants of both um, Building 29. We've talked internally about the need for a maker space um, at Alameda Point. Um, you know, we have these large buildings, and so we have to find large tenants to fill them, but um, are there creative ways that we can take a building and, and, <coughs> and create spaces for individual makers? Um, there are, as was mentioned, specific needs for the type of machinery that they do out at Building 29, and we talked about those, like large electrical load and cranes and large doors and access and things like that. Um, for Building 25, there is potential space uh, on Spirits Alley, um, and I think with that, Ms. Thorne Lyman will be able to speak further. And please introduce yourself. Good Hi. evening, Abby Thorne Lyman, Base Reuse and Economic Development Director for the city. Uh, Assistant City Manager covered quite a bit of it. I think we would really want to do a, a concerted effort to look at relocation options. The one that sticks out um, as the most obvious choice is Building 24. Building 25 is about 55,000 square feet with three tenants. Um, in, in addition to the to the two makers who have tasting rooms and things like that. St. George also leases a portion of the building to for storage. Um, so that would need to be relocated as well, but maybe a, a bit more of a flexible use than having um, the actual production or tasting occur. Um, building 24 was where Rockwall Winery was. It's 40,000 square feet. Um, it does need a new roof, and the council did approve the budget for that, so we're working on that actively. But that, that would be the most obvious choice, and it's very close in proximity to Building 25. And is the, um, would it be substantially different rent, different lease terms? Um, pro I, I think that would be a determination with the city council that we would have to discuss in closed session as price and terms. Of course. Um, the current leases for the tenants range, there are roughly fall within the 60 cents a square foot range. And um, fair market value is probably closer to a dollar, maybe maybe a dollar ten, a dollar twenty five. So. Um, regardless when the leases expire and, and we would be renegotiating, we would be looking at fair market value, but I think we would have to have a longer conversation with the council. I would also note that the tenants have made substantial improvements to Building 25, and that would need to be taken into consideration by council as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, um, so if my final question, you just alluded to it. When do the leases for both buildings um, terminate? 
Uh, yeah, so there are three leases in Building 25. Um, they uh, they term terminate uh, the, the last lease, as, as one of the public speakers referenced, um, the La Costa Pacifica, um, they have a five-year option to extend, so the final lease would, it would, would terminate 2031 um, if, if that option were exercised. The others terminate in 2024 and 2025. I don't have 29 on, on the tip of my fingers, but I could find it, or I don't know if the assistant city manager or director uh, I believe uh, Building 29 expiration is 2027. Um, Lava May is also in there, which provides um, they 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 store their trailers in there. Um, yeah, and and so so and, and just to clarify as well, in the conversations I had with the with Mr. Dreyfus and the the tenants of Building 29, um, that that you know pending council approval of extending the lease. Um, you know, we would be happy to keep them in there as long as we can until uh, we're ready to break out ground. And, and we certainly know well in advance of 12 months, it would be quite easy to give them 12 months notice uh, prior to construction. And, and we anticipate it would be at least five years, um, given that we need to find and identify and secure um, a significant amount of grants for this project. Thank you. Um, thank you, Director Thurn-Lyman. And I have one more question for um, Director Long. The outreach votes for option one, two, three uh, were, can you just give me an idea of how many, I, I was at two of the meetings and I know they were dots, so it may be hard to quantify, but um, give me an idea of how many, how many people voted. Yeah, um, so you know, in totality, it was approximately about 280 people who were able to vote in person at all of the different um, interactive events that we had. Um, and so it kind of gives you a little bit of a perspective on, a lot of it was dots, but yes, uh, you know, we did a lot of the information with a certain survey as well, so. And um, that's helpful, and I appreciate that you going to um, the middle school as well, that, that was a good idea, and I know that our students have a lot of interest in, um, in wildlife, and, and, and especially in Alameda and our parks. And my um, last question for you, Director Long, with regard to option A, well, Option A, 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 B, have you heard any concerns or input during these sessions about how the commercial site in the park, or just your thoughts even about how the, having a commercial site there? I know that you've, you, in your presentation, there was a discussion of how that site could be used, how the building could be used for um, different opportunities, and um, I appreciate that, but what about any negative impacts on wildlife of retention of that building? So the, to address, I guess, both of your questions, the, having some commercial space there, it was interesting from the community engagement where uh, some of the on-site meetings, there was actually a good amount of community involvement that was very concerned about the businesses and actually spoke out relatively vocally about you know potentially keeping that building for that. Um, but I will also say that uh, from environmental perspective, the height of the structure, you know, and, and talking to um, sort of the wildlife experts, it, it does create a habitat where, or a condition where it does create a perch for larger predatory birds to be able to perch on that building that do have impacts to other wildlife that are currently there. So there is a, there is a bit of an impact, yes. Okay, thank you. That's uh, all my questions and I, um, I, I appreciate all of the information presented. I know that a lot of work has gone into this. And um, I, I, I wanna point out, um, we've heard from commenters 
about the the need for the park and the, and the value and also from comments um, for, about the value of the buildings there so I appreciate both of those perspectives we've also heard from commenters about the view that would be improved by the removal of building 25 and I assume building 29 as well although that wasn't mentioned specifically and um, this council hears often about maintaining and expanding the view at Alameda Point um, and I know that council members and members of the public who are at Alameda Point um, appreciate that and so I, I'm, I appreciate those comments as well. Uh, one of the things that really makes Alameda special as, as I know very well having spent a lot of my life here is our community parks and later tonight we will talk more about parks when we talk about our strategic plan and I, I really like and appreciate and, and will definitely support the DPA park project because it does fulfill so much of our strategic plan enhances community services um, and parks support our community well-being and quality of life our priority there building resilience to climate change and water level sea rise this is a tremendous and, and innovative product project that that will really support that support education and um, investing in beautiful public spaces I, I look forward to seeing what it's going to look like regardless of which option is is followed and um so my personally I just feel like it would be short-sighted to develop this unique and, and supportive project in an incomplete manner by retaining one structure rather than prioritizing nature in an otherwise open ecological treasure so I'll be supporting option three thank you thank you vice mayor uh, thank you uh, just a quick question I should have asked this earlier through email to city staff but when I look at all the options, um, I notice that much of the um, promenade walking um, and biking path is, will be set at roughly four foot elevation, right? So is that four foot above the current mean higher watermark or is that four foot above the 2050? Um, because when I look at the zero line, it seems to be um, aligned with today's mean higher watermark. Yeah, thank you. My name is Kevin Conger. I'm a landscape architect with CMG, um, and, and it's a pleasure to work on this project with this community. Um, the, the longest part of the promenade is existing paving that's being mm -hmm. retained and recycled and reused. It is about uh, four feet above the highest high tides right now. Okay. So it will be high and dry for about four feet of sea level rise, after which time it will start to be inundated at the higher, mean high, high water. Okay. It, and the, the elevation is different from the tides because the, they use a different number system for mm -hmm. the sea levels than they do for the land. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, the reason why I'm asking is because I think um, by 2050, um, the mean high, mean high watermark, I think, is supposed to raise, rise by two feet, 1.9 feet, I think. So. Um, that's definitely going to begin to cut in, um, in, you know, towards that, that four-foot elevation. So the point, though, is it's starting now, and, and so we have to start planning now. Um, and, you know, 27 years from now, 2050, seems like a long time, but, you know, 27 years goes by in a snap. You know, I mean, I, I first got on council 27 years ago in 1996, and, you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> time goes by really fast. And so it is imperative that we plan. And I think, you know, um, Alameda, because we all know we're an island, um, 
you know, we, uh, like no other um, uh, cities in California other than Cor Coronado probably, you know, really need to take uh, sea level rise incredibly seriously. And I think in the plans that we have before us as this council and previous councils, um, you know, we've always uh, been very um, uh, enthusiastic and, and I think we'll continue to be enthusiastic about um, uh, what we're seeing here. Um, you know, it's, uh, um, I think the uh, removal of Building 25 um, would frankly be consistent with the spirit of the graceful exit, um, the graceful retreat um, that we're planning um, uh, when it comes to depaved park, the graceful retreat from, um, from sea level rise. I think, you know, um, many cities, not just in the Bay Area, um, but, you know, throughout um, the world, probably when they think about sea level rise, um, you know, for the first thing they think about is, you know, hardscape, you know, seawalls and, and fight, and, and maybe in, in many areas, seawalls are required. You know, they're necessary maybe because, you know, there's residential structures nearby. But in places where seawalls are not needed, you know, if we can, um, if we can, you know, have a model project like this where other um, places throughout the world, if not throughout the United States, can turn to it as an example of a city that embraced um, sea level rise and did so in an elegant and graceful manner as was before us. Um, I, I think we as a city um, uh, must not miss this opportunity to, um, to um, pursue um, Deepave Park to the fullest, which to me suggests that um, we, we will have to remove Building 25, because otherwise that would be kind of a blemish on the spirit with which we're doing, dealing, doing this project. Um, so, um, you know, I, I appreciate the comments um, raised by uh, residents um, and others uh, this evening, as well as the emails that we received. Um, so, you know, I'm very supportive of option three, and I know that we can work with our tenants in, in terms of transitioning people um, and businesses. Um, so, thank you. And I'm just going to go right down the line and speak briefly and then I'll, I'll um, I just wanted to share a few things um, that I had asked for some information uh, from staff and um, because I asked about, um, so let me just back up and say thank you for everything, the report was great, loved hearing it a second time. I um, I think that I also lean toward eventually um, removing both buildings, but with an emphasis on the eventually, because um, first of all, this isn't an overnight project. It is at least five years before construction begins, and before it begins, we have to secure at least $20 million in grant funding. So right now we've got a lot of pretty pictures and we do have you know, certainly some funding that has gotten us this far, but it's not gonna happen overnight. I think it would be a mistake to evict our tenants. Um, that There's some issues on building 29 and I, I think, and I, very compelling remarks, but I would like to see staff work sooner rather than later to see if we can um, 
have them uh, go elsewhere. When you look at the revenues that building 25 tenants are bringing in, it's to the tune of about half a million dollars a year. And so um, that is the sort of thing that as council members, we have to weigh that, the, the benefits and the, the risks of just saying, oh yeah, let's get rid of it now and just you know half a million dollars of rent. And also, out of respect for these businesses who have sacrificed a lot to locate out there because you know this is infrastructure that is World War II era and older and sometimes there have been power outages and water and all the, all the <coughs> other things but not only are they are they operating um, businesses and bringing people and visitors and revenue into the city I asked for a list of the um, the different events because I've certainly in, um, attended a few events this this past year. And so what I learned was that the, um, uh, the um, urban legend and um, uh, urban legend and Dash Sellers have hosted the Alameda Chamber and Economics Alliance Women in Leadership, the Oakland Animal Services Fundraiser, Alameda Family Services Fundraiser, a fundraiser for the Tuolumne Camp, they have hosted um, the, scrolling backwards, the um, uh, FAWS after the ball, not this year, but in a previous year, Alameda Pride, the Park, <coughs> Street, Park Street Art and Wine, um, <coughs> City of Alameda Meals on Wheels, Wheels Wine Dinner, Alameda County Meals on Wheels, the Oakland Zoo Walk in the Wild, Kids Care Everywhere fundraiser and a fundraiser for the Black Cultural Zone of, of um, Oakland. And that's just a few. So in addition to bringing in that half a million dollars of revenue um, uh, to, the, to the city, we are also you know, helping other nonprofits. So my ask for staff, and if I'm to support option three, it would be with really clear direction that um, at least five years, and then to to look at options for renewal of the Building 25 lease. I mean, we did hear Ms. Thorne Lyman, and I appreciate her talking about some other possible locations, but I think that that should be at the tenant's discretion. They've, they've put a lot of time, they've put tenant improvements in. If they're ready to make a move, we can work with them. If they'd like to stay longer and do a more gradual transition, I'd like to see that too. But I don't think that we just say, um, you know, we've got this nice design that in five plus years we'll start working on, so let's get rid of this building now because we're not going to be doing anything. And then to the point about the predator location, I, and I understand that concept. There is some place out in the, I don't know whether it's Northwest Territories, I got a great um, tour with East Bay Regional Parks District and the VA. Assistant City Manager, you were on that, remember we were out going, and to, where was it? There's those little enclosures there, it's almost like ceramic that is, and it's for the least turns and other birds to go into and stay so they are protected from predators. Where were we, Do you, is that, are they still out there? Those. Those are still out in the least turn area. Is it the Northwest Territories? Where was? Where were we? Uh, we we drove around the whole we area, drove but, the whole but area. What, the, what you're referring to is in the least turn area. Yeah, 
Okay, so I mean, there's there's some mitigations, is what I would suggest, and I'm sure the city would foot the cost for some more habitat um, for others. Anyway, those are those are my thoughts that I just wanted to share now, and we'll keep going down the line. Councilmember Vella. So, um, and, and this is the question for the Assistant City Manager Woldridge. My understanding is that there's an estimate of at least twenty million dollars, but that's based off of current. Um, current costs, number one, which we see continuing to rise, and number two, um, does that factor in the additional costs uh, relative to um, the third option? First of all, that 20 million plus is a very, very... My understanding it's, it's a ballpark number. It's it's even less than a ballpark number. It's it, I'm, I was just trying to give the scope of the cost. We've not at all um, done a cost estimate on this because the numbers because we're look right. seeking direction tonight, right. um, and so uh, I would say the 20 million does include the cost to demolish Building 29. Um, I don't think it yet includes the cost, but again, it's so rough. It kind of, sort of, I'm getting yeah. this. You yeah. know, includes it includes costs for for building. So, so here's my concern: is that there's a lot of different grants. This isn't going to be funded by one grant. This is going to be funded by a multitude of grants. Um, and takes time and while I, I appreciate that there's quote unquote grants out there from the federal government we also saw the federal government declare a large portion of Alameda County to be super sites and then not fund them uh, for cleanup and those are lead hazard removals where people are living so uh, you know I, I think it's there's lots of quote unquote grant opportunities out there but I think that there's a substantial amount of, of work that's going to go into actually seeing those grants come in and there's still going to need to be funds from the city and um, we have an item later tonight talking about um, revenue measures and things like that but we also have a lot of existing current um, deferred infrastructure needs um, and, and I would also say that in 2018 it wasn't that long ago five years ago that we you know, added, I think it was like 2,000 additional parcels into the 100-year flood zone. And so some of our deferred infrastructure needs are really around protecting um, where a large portion of this city lives. Um, so I, I'm supportive, and I have been supportive of Deepave Park, but I also want to be a realist about where the funds are coming from, who's footing the bill, and when we're actually going to get the money for it. I also appreciate the renderings, um, appreciate the renderings, but I think seeing the renderings with the existing fence lines and where in the different access points and how that all flows is also going to be important to the, the ongoing conversations. Um, so I, I actually think that saying we're going to evict people in five years is kind of not necessarily tied to reality relative to what the funding is going to probably look like and i would appreciate to to kind of understand what some phased approaches would look like understanding that at some point we will need to demolish um, both buildings but really figuring out what that phasing would look like um, in a way that makes sense for costs and for otherwise so i think where i'm at is i will support the removal of the buildings but i i think that five years from now is, uh, I think one of my colleagues said, time goes quickly. Um, five years from now is essentially tomorrow if we're saying 27 years is nothing. Um, and so, you know, I think it's also about trying to make sure that we're raising revenue. Frankly, those funds go into Alameda Point. 
So for those of you out there saying, yes, we want these buildings removed, we want the wetlands, I also want to make sure we have revenue um, to, to fund our portion of it, um, right? We have to do both. And so that means you know, trying to get as much revenue for as long as possible out of those buildings before we actually demolish them. Um, so that's where I'm at. I, I, I would say, you know, realistically, it's probably more like eight years before demolition, just based off of the funding timelines, um, and you know, giving adequate notice and things like that. Um, so I would encourage staff to to kind of approach it with a, a you know a reasonable timeline, understanding that those buildings will eventually be demolished, and and I really want those those dollars to go to to funding you know, what our needs are out there, including this park. So that's where I'm coming from on this. And, and just to tag along on something you said, I think there may be a distinction between the two buildings because we heard, um, I think it was Assistant City Manager Wildwood say that um, Building 29 needs a lot of, a lot more, or was it you, City Manager? Somebody Wildridge. said. It was Wildridge, okay, said, um, if building 29 need, needs about 400,000 in improvements, building 29 needs much more. And building 29 is um, bringing in much less revenue to the city. And I think there's a significant cost there. Again, I, I love all the things that are going on out there, but I would also look to economic development staff to find uh, you know, someplace else for those, those makers, just because I, I don't see the same economic benefit. And I don't, I don't know whether you, we, you know, we don't have to align exactly on these, but I, the staff report seemed to make a distinction. Yes, they did, and and I, I would hope that staff can come up with a a phased approach, considering those factors, and also working with the existing tenants, um, to the extent possible, and um, looking at alternatives. But try, I mean, building twenty five is bringing in considerable revenue, and. Um, if, it's, if it could be phased later, um, I think we owe it to ourselves to collect the revenue from that and to, to keep the tenants there and then use the funds to help fund this park. Thank you. And Councilmember Harris Spencer, on to you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, staff, for the presentation. I want to, I also participated in a few of these meetings, uh, and so I want to thank all the public uh, that participated. Um, in regards to Building 29, I think the, the numbers from the staff's report uh, to preserve it, approximately $6 million, uh, remove it is a million, but the annual revenues are about 60000 a year. I just want to confirm that, it's, that that's correct. Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> All right, so um, obviously, okay, and then I want to continue in regards to Building 25. Uh, the preservation is about a million, just over a million, but the rent revenues are 500,000 a year. Um, that's correct. In 2023, the revenue is $429,000. But it increases, so on the it, chart, it goes both, over 500. It, yes, it, it increases 3% each year. All right. Um, I, I think Councilor Ravella had a oh, clarifying question. Just the preservation is not an annual cost. That would be to keep, to build the levy. I'm Cor trying to understand. Cor correct. Yeah, just to clarify. Okay. Yeah, but one time, one time cost on that. Um, the, that's the preservation of building 25. So that, um, to preserve it, pays for itself very quickly with the rent revenues in two, in two years then, approximately. Is that correct, staff? 
Okay, um, and how long, what's the life expectancy of that building? I, I don't think we have an answer to that at this, at this point. I think it we would need to do a deeper assessment. It was built in the 1980s, um, but I don't know the lifespan of the building. All right, so I appreciate that. Um, and as another council member already pointed out, we have a revenue measure on our agenda, uh, uh, 7C, you'll be hearing about, you know, do we wanna go out to our taxpayers uh, to provide revenue because we have infrastructure costs uh, unfunded pension liabilities, you know, all the costs to run a city. Um, so from my perspective, uh, as much as I support depaved park, I also support paying the city's bills and not going to the taxpayers unnecessarily. So I, I do think it's critical we come up with a plan for the artists at Building 29. I've actually visited the building multiple times over the years, um, and I think that they have amazing work occurring there. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to go out there, I highly recommend it. I'll, every time I drop by, you're gonna see artists at work. Um, and it's really the, the type of work that we want to support long-term in our community. So I'm hopeful we'll be able to come up with a place to protect our artists and artisans out there. Um, building 25 to me is actually a building that we should actually, I think, try to keep. Uh, we do want to support local business, and uh, I think that that's, uh, we did have a caller in regards to uh, the win-win, how do we do both, and I appreciate that yes, this building does obstruct the view. Um, there are a lot of buildings out there that obstruct views. They're all over the city. I'm one of the biggest uh, cheerleaders of keeping our view corridors. But I'm also going to say, it's, you know, and you also have businesses that have invested a lot of time uh, into the business. And you can't just say, oh, let's just move this business and they're gonna thrive at some new location. That's not how businesses work. It takes a long time to develop a business and they spend a lot of time finding a place that they think it's going to be successful. Then they invest a lot of their uh, heart and soul in making it be successful. Uh, so I do think it's important to uh, protect the businesses at Building 25. And I also think long-term it's important to keep businesses there because we need, tax, we need uh, revenues from businesses uh, to be a successful city, and I, and I do prefer getting the revenues from businesses than going out to taxpayers. I think a lot of taxpayers are honestly overburdened with taxes in California and in our city. And to go back to them and say, okay, well, we are actually uh, making a decision where we're going to long-term lose out on 500,000 a year. Uh, so could you give, give the city more tax dollars to offset that? And actually we're gonna need significant more tax revenues because of the, uh, and you're gonna hear, the uh, unfunded pension liabilities you're not hearing about tonight, but deferred maintenance and infrastructure costs and all of the costs that go with the uh, sea level rise and, and the impacts on our community to protect the existing structures. That's going to be extremely expensive. Uh, so from my perspective, it, um, and I do think we have to address 
I personally would like to see more parking out so that we can support the businesses. And I appreciate the long list of events that have been held out there. I've been able to attend many of them. Uh, and, you know, it's, um, and, and also to offer uh, parking for people that want to visit the park. Uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, if they're disabled and, and whatnot, to have access to the park. Uh, but so I don't know uh, if, is, does the city have a long-term, I'll get to a question now, does the city get a, have a long-term decision in regards to this building 25? Could it be like our other buildings out there at uh, Spirits Alley and they're just gonna be there indefinitely? Could, could that building be treated like the other buildings? The other buildings we're not getting rid of, are we, out at the point that are there? So I think these might not be the two people best suited to answer it. How about if I punt that one to city manager? I'm happy Jen to Ott. step in. I mean, I think as we presented in March our reuse strategy, I think our intent is eventually that Alameda Point becomes a neighborhood and, you know, a part of the community. It's privately owned with the exception of the Thailand's properties, which can't be sold. Um, so I think, but I th as we mentioned in that reuse strategy discussion is we're really moving where the existing infrastructure is from east to west and these buildings are farther east and so I think our, as we build new infrastructure, that infrastructure creates value in those buildings that we think we should recapture through the sales of those buildings. So eventually, yes, the answer is we think all the buildings out there will be sold other than the Thailand's buildings. Um, but we don't have plans to sell the buildings along that western corridor at this point. That's not our recommendation. Obviously, if something comes up and the council wants to make that decision because of some benefit to the city or public benefit, we could consider that. But at this point, we're not recommending selling more of those buildings along that western corridor um, so that we can really recapture the investment we're putting in through the infrastructure. So does that mean to, because we would have ongoing rents that we'd be receiving? Correct, we'd be leasing those buildings and receiving rents from them. Mm -hmm. So the, the plan actually is to keep the building out there, building 25, and get annual rents indefinitely from well, that I, building. I think the direction's gonna come from the council tonight as to whether or not that's the case. I think we're, what I'm hearing is that the direction is to work towards a, to removing building 25, but do it in a way that really, you know, addresses, tries to preserve our businesses here in Alameda, tries to find other locations for them, tries to preserve the rent stream as long as possible so that we can use that those funds to help do other things. So I think we've heard your direction, now we're gonna go back and try to figure out a, a phased approach to addressing that. Okay, well that wasn't really my direction. I actually am thinking I would like to keep building 25 indefinitely to, to, to to keep their rents and also to support the local businesses that have actually uh, invested in our community, but I, I think uh, uh, it's, it makes sense to keep it as long as long as we can uh, for the city's benefit for those reasons. Thank you. And Councilor Harris Spencer, I think I agree a lot with you, um, but maybe differ a little in that I think looking at the drawings, the renderings, that eventually. Building 25 does need to go to be able to do what we're doing in the, the planned inundation and all that. But 
I just think that we are really jumping the gun to say, okay, they've got to be, I would want, and we've already heard from the, the, um, the owner of one of the businesses that it's impacted his business, just the uncertainty. And we don't want to do that to our business community. It's hard enough running a small business and these are our enterprises that went through the pandemic and are still you know, bouncing back and they're being good community members. So I think there's a, a compromise to be had, but I want, I, I want to give them some certainty that we're not going to ask you to do anything until year thus and such. Um, and anybody who wants you, oh. Yeah, the only Sorry. thing I'd add is that we do currently, I mean, we have to fix the roof. We currently have a building along Spirits Alley that is vacant. And so there may, we may want to discuss relocating some of them now, which wouldn't preclude us just so that we could be sure that we had a space available for them longer term. Um, so we'll have that conversation, but that doesn't mean we couldn't do some shorter term leases in building 25 to try to preserve some of the lease revenue. So let us go back and think about it, but I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity to consider relocating them to 24. And, and that occurred to me as well, that if you say, oh, you've got at least X number of years, but then that year comes up and the space has all been taken, then what? So, but what I also, and we don't negotiate leases in public, we do that in closed session, but I, there should be some consideration for the sacrifice of having given up a lease you were entitled to that you negotiated with the city at one point. So those are all things, um, you know, TBD. So, Councilmember Vela. But I also want to stress that I don't want these buildings, 25 or 29, sitting vacant for no reason when we don't have the funds to actually do something. When we have people who are tenants who are paying rent, who are willing to pay rent, and who are, you know, uh, you know, who are, are operating businesses within our our city. So, I, I do want to find a way to to, you know, do both. I think we can. I'm seeing our city manager nod. I, um, but I want that direction to be very clear to staff that it would be nice to give certainty. It would also be nice to get a little more certainty in terms of what we think the estimated costs are relative to those building removals and then come up with a timeline of what we actually think is going to be realistic. Um, I know that we're, we're hoping things happen quickly, but hope is not always enough. Uh, we need to actually have a plan. Um, and we need to have a financing plan for all of this, and it is difficult to, to patch the financing together on a project like this. As we say, hope is not a strategy. Um, and then just for clarification, do you need a motion tonight? Do you need direction? What is it staff is seeking from the council? And I mean, I'll give my thoughts, and then if this is in city manager, I mean, I think you've given us direction. I think, it, I think on the building 25, it would be nice to know, even if it's not a vote, but some sort of, you know, I think I've heard four, maybe, five, I don't know, five, four kind of council members indicate a support for removing Building 25 with some caveats related to, right. to um, you know, preserving the buildings for those businesses as long as possible, trying to relocate the businesses to the extent we can, and trying to maintain the income stream from those buildings as long as we can. Um, so if I heard that being the majority direction tonight, and that's, so if that's not, um, please let me know. But otherwise, I think we've heard everything else. I don't know if Assistant City Manager, do you have any? No, I, I agree. It's very clear direction. Um, I think I, I personally would like the certainty of a, a vote specifically on Building 25. Um, but I did hear, uh, as is, did City Manager Ott, um, you know, it, a majority. Uh, 
and why would, direction to why would you not like a vote on both buildings um, assistant city manager you certainly could do, do that as well we 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 didn't in, i only said that because we did not include building 29 in any of the renderings um and so if there was some affirmative to bring it back into the plan um but that's not what i was hearing so no i that's think why i was focused on so i'm clear that the the makers let's find another another place and lava may for those of you who don't know it's a really important venture they go to homeless encampments they go to dignity um to village of love um they go to our um, dine and connect and they provide shower service as and laundry for people and so we we definitely want to find other places for them but um uh okay so I'll make a motion. <clears throat> um, oh, you know what? The vice mayor had his hand up, and I promised to call on him next. Yeah, so. I, I just wanted to state that. Um, from, so I, I didn't really hear anyone say that we're going to remove the um, businesses on Building 2529 ASAP. I think this, you know, I, I what I said definitely was, you know, that I have confidence that our staff will work um, closely and carefully with the tenants, um, and so it would take time. Um, and I appreciate the fact that there might even be some opportunities now for someone to move into um, a, a hangar space. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, but even if that were to occur, as Council Member uh, Vela said, that you know we could still have economic um, um, activity there. But but on short-term leases, um, uh, with language that says that you know um, at some point in time um, uh, within the framework of a short-term lease, if if someone has to move. Uh, quickly, then you know, th then maybe we can uh, massage that. So I, I do think that 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 we're um, both nuancing the economics of the of the two buildings, both especially um, Building 25, um, but at the same time, kind of embracing you know the spirit of of Deepave Park in in the way in which um, you know it it, it um, accepts uh, sea level rise gracefully. Thank you. Okay. Councilmember Jensen, you're prepared to make a motion. Let's hear it. I'm prepared to make a motion that uh, we to direct staff to move forward with option three, at while um, in establishing um, options and providing information and working closely with the tenants of both Building 29 and Building 25 to identify potential for relocation and to ensure that the lease terms are um, are supported or yeah thanks um i might like a little more specificity uh, councilman ravella if um to the maker of the motion is it possible to give clear direction I, my concern is is that it, i think it would be helpful with building 25 in particular with their lease coming up in a year um is that correct? Well, the, no. there's w one tenant. One Was it 24 and 2024, 2025, but they have um, until 2031. One tenant has until 2031. If, yeah. they, if they exercise their five-year option. Correct, but not the other tenants. No, but they are coming up, so we would have to right. be making some decisions yeah. about whether or not to let right. them stay within so, a certain so, time frame. So that's why I think if, if we could just maybe give some clarity to staff um, and if staff could maybe give some feedback in terms of how far we think we can extend out. Um, okay, yes. <laughs> nice. Understand that we can't, we're not negotiating in public, but. Yes, understood. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, Abby Thornline, Base Reuse Economic Development Director. I think one of the best strategies would be to make all the leases in 25 coterminous. And so to extend so that they're at a logical point, which is probably 26 and maybe then year to year, but we, you know, we'll have to figure it out. But I think what we want to end, I think ultimately the ultimate goal is a coterminous situation where we don't have three different timelines, three different trajectories for the three different tenants. So would that be in 2031 then when that last? Well, I guess I'm a little options? hesitant to do that because I think 2031 is beyond. We do think there's the possibility with all the grants that are going around now that mm -hmm. we could be starting construction in five years. That's aggressive. Um, so I'd be a little hesitant to create a leasehold interest beyond that five-year term. We're um, talking about 2028 because 2024 is just around the corner. So we could do the five years. I think that's fine. No more than those five years. We do have one that goes beyond to 2031, but we might talk to them about potentially relocating to building 24 and try to relocate them somewhere along Spirits Alley sooner. So does staff need more direction or is staff is the is the motion that was given? It seems like the motion that was given is sufficient to allow that sort of I think we need a little flexibility. I think we've heard you clearly, and I, and I think when we come back with a design in spring, I mean, we can start to have some of those conversations with tenants, get a little more information. We could even do a closed session, possibly um, related to price and terms on Building 24, but we could then in the public staff report in the spring kind of report back on our approach um, and, and what we're thinking, and then you can give us further feedback and direction then. Does that sound okay? Yes. That's my motion. <laughs> Second. <laughs> Which, what she said. Okay, so the motion has been made by Councilmember Jensen, and the city clerk is brilliantly taking all this down. So every confidence. Uh, seconded by Councilmember Vela. Any last thoughts? Let's take a vote. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Opposed. Did I hear four yeses, four ayes? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, that motion passes four to one. Okay, Council, we have violated my rules about two hours and then we take a break. So it is um, 10.07. We are going to come back at 10.20, please. We'll be ready to start at 10.20. Okay, we'll be back with you. Thank you.
Ready? Okay, everybody, break's over. <laughs> so we are resuming our city council meeting. Madam Clerk, where are we? 7B. All right, would you introduce 7B for us, please? Recommendation to receive a status report on the commercial streets program, authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with Ray's Electric to furnish and install commercial streets concrete barriers for a not to exceed amount of $373,747.68 and authorize the city manager to extend the parklet program to issue updated parklet license agreements in accordance with California Environmental Quality Act. This action is categorically exempt from further review pursuant to guideline section 15301. Welcome, Mr. Vance. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yes. Uh, good evening. Robert Vance, um, Public Works Deputy Director. And I'm here tonight with Andrew Thomas, and we're going to um, present on the next steps for the Park and Webster commercial streets. Thank you. Do I have. Um, yes. Just, okay, great. Um, okay, tonight we're going to be uh, requesting approval uh, for, the, for the barrier purchase. These are concrete barriers um, that would be installed around the parklets. Uh, we'll also provide some status updates from our last presentation in July 2023. And we'll be requesting approval to enter new license agreements with the parklet owners. Um, here's a little bit of information about um, the parklet barriers um, shown here. They're concrete reinforced. Um, um, we're proposing to purchase up to 304 uh, barricades for the 20 parklets. And the, the price, including contingency, um, shipping, installation, traffic control, uh, and the equipment and labor for installation uh, would total about uh, $343,748. Um, and I also just wanted to mention that they're going to be staining this patio green color that's shown here to give a more uniform look to the corridor. Um, so since July 2023, um, we've advanced and developed um, the Park and Webster restriping plans, and those were included as exhibits to the staff report. Um, the, the striping plans um, implement uh, um, uh, short-term parking, and I'll review some of the kind of the color coding that goes along with that in a couple slides here. Um, the, the plans also identify potential spaces for um, uh, additional bike parking and public spaces and the plans would coordinate with the barrier placement around the parklets. So the plan is to go out to uh, bid in December, 20, er, in, in December for early 2024 implementation. Um, just as a reminder for the, the striping concept, um, the cross sections are shown here. So along the curb would be the parklet locations, parking, bus stops. Um, next to that would be um, buffered bike lanes um, with as much separation from traffic as possible. Uh, one lane in each direction on Park and Webster with uh, turn bays at the major intersections. So with um, uh, the restriping, we, the parking is relocated back to um, the, the, uh, the curb, so there would be some parking changes. Um, just listed here on Webster Street. Um, I guess I wanted to mention the, the different curb colors. So um, there'll be red curbs where parking isn't allowed. Green curbs would signify a 15 minute uh, parking, so kind of temporary parking. Um, yellow for commercial loading zones and um, blue for reserve parking for people with disabilities. So on, on Webster Street between um, Central and Lincoln, it adds up to 11 more parking spaces 
um, adding two more green 15-minute um, zones um, and three ADA parking spaces. And on Parking Street, it results in 19 fewer parking spaces um, with seven new uh, green loading zones, um, five blue ADA parking spaces, and an additional yellow commercial loading zone. And so next I want to turn it over to Andrew to discuss um, some additional updates and next steps. Welcome, Mr. Thomas. Thank you, Robert. Um, Andrew Thomas, um, spe special <laughs> advisor to uh, Robert. Um, Legend, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wa we wanted to just talk a little bit. Uh, you probably remember several months ago we were here um, uh, with our I think proposed. Your planning director emeritus. Yeah, emeritus. Yes, that sounds good. Get <laughs> <laughs> that in the minutes. Um, Sorry. Yeah, uh, we were here before council several months ago talking about and presenting our striping plan, and the council had a robust conversation about the parklet program and some things we should be thinking about. Um, adjusting um, and I just wanted to hit on a few of the main um, issues um, and um, that we th think were really relevant and we appreciated the conversation and, and sort of where we hope to go with them in the new program um, there was uh, quite a bit of discussion about um, you know vacant parklets and, and whether this is a good use of public space um, and um, we have, since that meeting, we've been talking to, we went out and talked to a number of the parklet owners. You may have noticed some of the parklets have been removed since that time. Um, those were parklets that the, when we, that the parklet um, owners were just, yeah, they didn't really, weren't using them. And they were like, yeah, we get it. We need to get rid of them. There's a couple more that are gonna be going. Um, but where we're, where we're headed with the new parklet program is that, um, and then there was some conversation about whether it should just be restaurants and bars and nobody else. Um, after talking to the businesses, um, we are proposing that we would have a, um, we wouldn't limit it to just bars and restaurants. There are essentially 20 parklets, we believe, at the end of the day um, that we will have, and three of them are not restaurants or bars. But we are, um, the way we're going with this is that we require sort of a, that they be activated, and for the non, specifically for the non-restaurant and bars, that they submit basically their plan. How are you going to keep this um, parklet activated? And if they violate that plan as part of their permit, so they say we're going to do this, this, and this, and this is how these parklets are going to be are going to be used. If if they turn out not to do that, then we are going to revoke their permit. Um, businesses can. Uh, there was a discussion about whether businesses should have, should have be able to have more than one parklet. Um, we've been allowing that. Um, we are headed down a um, sort of a path where we would limit one per, per business. There's really only two businesses right now that have more than one, um, and we're going to be um, talking to those businesses about whether they are going to be sharing that second parklet with a neighboring business, but that's that's the concept, is one per business, unless you're sharing with an adjacent business. Um, the uh, And the two that have two are both on Park Street. Um, public, the use of public space, um, Alameda Avenue, the Webster Street Healing Garden, that was also, um, and there was quite a bit of conversation about how we could create more public spaces um, we need we, we want to continue exploring those ideas. Um, we are working with the Park Street Business Association about an improvement plan for Alameda Avenue. Um, we'll continue working with the Webster Street 
Business Association on their healing garden. Um, and we also, once we have the striping in place, and there are some areas in the striping plan that look at this at this point to be a little too narrow for parking um, and probably too narrow for a full-on parklet or in front of a business that doesn't necessarily want a parklet um, where we could explore the possibility of putting in essentially a city-owned parklet. Um, but we, we kind of want to get the, the striping in place. Whether that's a city-owned parklet um, or whether it is bicycle parking is the other piece that we would want to be looking at because um, we do need to identify spots for additional parking. Um, so uh, in terms of the parklet program, um, we are currently extending the current agreements uh, temporarily um, until we have our new agreements in place. Um, with the help of our city attorney and his staff, thank you very much. We've been developing a new and improved parklet agreement um, that set the new standards for parklets. Um, they will, each agreement will have site plans, uh, limiting the size to fit with the striping plan. Um, the businesses all need to know what those, what those standards are, um, and they will need to sign on to the new agreements. Um, the new agreements will also end the city's um, subsidy for covering the insurance costs, which was something the city had been doing. So businesses will be taking on their own insurance costs. Um, we are also updating our design guidelines with photos and diagrams, so it's really clear that we have sort of a uniform style and design for parklets and that they are all designed to fit within the striping plan. Um, we'll continue working with Park Street on their Alameda Avenue improvements. Um, and then there will be a, a fee, annual fee of $2,400 for parklets, um, really to cover administration and regular inspections. Inspections are important specifically for, and especially for um, things like drainage and that's a, the, those kinds of issues. So tonight, um, what we are, the path we are on and we would like to confirm with you tonight is that we should move forward with the pur purchase of the concrete barriers, the $343,000, uh, which will protect the 20 parklets that we estimate will be in the program. We will proceed with the Park Street and Webster Street striping. Um, we do at the business's request, we thought it was a good idea we should, that we should hold off on that and all the disruption that that causes until after the holiday season. Webster Street is going to be quick. None of the parks, none of the ones on Webster Street need to be, uh, the, none of the parklets need to be reconfigured. Um, but Park Street, there's work to be done on a number of the parklets to fit with the new program. So let them get through the holiday season, then work with them to re redesign and move their parklets. Oh, am I out of time? Um, All right. Do you, how much more time do this you need? This is the last to? slide. Okay, so we need a quick vote um, to give. Shall we give Mr. Thomas uh, five more minutes, given sure. his emeritus status I just need and all time that? Time for I need, three bullets. I need a measure and four <laughs> and four votes. Five minutes. So moved. Do you have a second? Second. All right, um, Council. Uh, we've had a motion and a second to uh, um, extend five more minutes. All those in favor, um, signify by stating aye. 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 Thank you Take very it much, away. Council. Okay, three last bullets. <laughs> five um, votes we're going to proceed with the new parklet agreements with a fee of $2,400. Um, that will then, once we have those in place, we will install the barriers once the parklets are reconstructed and restripe the streets. Um, us, 
and will be requiring that every parklet owner has the new agreement and is fully licensed. And our game plan is to have that complete by the end, by March of 2024. So at this point, we are asking if you support this plan to move forward. I'm, that concludes the presentation from the special advisor. <laughs> Robert, we good? All right. Okay, well, you still have a little time on the clock, so you can come back to it. But anyway, before we go to our public comment, do we have any clarifying questions from the council? Council Member Jensen. Uh, my questions are about. Speaker, please. What are the current parklet fees? Um, they were the they were set at uh, twenty four hundred dollars over two years. So it, it's doubling the fees, basically. It sounds like. It, well, the the yes, essentially, um, it does d double the fees. But and that, that, that like, as Andrew mentioned, it's covering the staff time for inspections and. Oh, absolutely. As we've learned more. No, um, <laughs> thank you, and so. Um, Thanks, Mr. Vance. If is I w I thought I heard that the insurance is going to be paid by the city now, or there was there was a subsidy program um, in place for the first two years, but that won't be continuing. Okay, so the each um, business that has a parklet will have to pay, and do we require like we do with other contracts the degree, the amount of insurance for each site? That's, Thank you. That's part of the agreement. And which parklets were removed? You mentioned two on Park Street had been removed. Uh, one was uh, West Wind on Park Street, and the other was um, Rise uh, Body Works. Was it? Jones, John, Jonathan's. Oh. Jonathan's has been removed. Oh, okay. And the, the plan is uh, for Rise to re to remove too, but that one's that one's still in place. Thank you. Other clarifying questions before we go to public comment, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, staff, for the presentation. The, K, uh, the concrete barriers that are being proposed, they're <coughs> four feet long, but the K rails out at the base. I want to confirm what is the length of the K rails that we have out at the base? I believe those are standard 20 foot 20 K feet. rails, yeah. Right, okay. Um, thank you. Yeah, these are. I'm in the, speak of the microphone, to speak. Um, and then I have a question about, are all parklets a uniform um, size? In other words, do they um, displace the same number of parking spaces? Um, they're different sizes. Um, they range typically between two to three parking spaces. Some are just one parking space, and um, two of them are four parking spaces. They range from displacing two to four parking spaces? Uh, between one and four. One and the four. smallest is one and largest is four. Um, and the city isn't attempting to regulate that? Well, um, we'll be providing um, like a footprint for each one, but the, the idea is to mainly keep the parklets as they are. Okay, I'll come back during comment, that was it. Um, okay. Uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you. Uh, the term activation was used, and uh, like I drove down Park today. I rarely drive down Park because honestly, I think it's really hard to navigate right now. But uh, I saw uh, one of these parklets actually being used by quite a few people, but the rest em empty of people using using them. So when you say activate, does that mean like they need to be like having someone using them so many hours a day? What does that actually mean?
I think we, what we've asked the businesses to do is start submitting their activation plans to us. We, we, it, it, it's going to be a subjective process of evaluating whether that activation plan is, is good enough. Um, it doesn't mean 24 hours a day in our mind. It means that it's going to bring activity to Park Street on a regular, or Webster Street on a regular basis. It may, in some cases, like <coughs> the wine shop on Park Street, it's mostly evenings. Um, the twirl, uh, mostly daytime. So um, that, in our minds, is a benefit to Alameda and the commercial districts um, from our perspective. Um, if the council thinks otherwise or thinks that it should be more than that, um, let us know, please. But um, what we don't want to see is a situation where somebody commits, and that's why we've asked them to write it down and submit it. Commit to how you're going to use this and that there's going to be, it's actually going to be used. And then it also gives us then the mechanism, if necessary, at a later date, to say, hey, you're not following what you promised. Like we were out there, it, you're not using it as you promised, so we're taking your permit away. But does that mean so they commit that they're going to put tables and chairs out there? But does it mean that someone's keeping track that there's actually people using those tables and chairs? Well, it. Or they're just sitting nobody, there empty. Yeah, I mean, if they're, I mean, if they're providing, let's say it's a restaurant, they're providing service. There's a waiter. There's there. If you if somebody does sit down, that they actually get served, I would say that's yes, they've, they've met their responsibility. If the restaurant's not very successful and they are, nobody's coming to their restaurant um, and it's nobody's sitting in those chairs, we're hoping that two things will happen. One is we'll go to them and say, hey, it's not, you're not, it's not activated. Nobody's sitting in this parklet. And secondly, why are you paying all this money for insurance and $2,400 a year if you're not really using it? Let's, it's time to pull the permit. Thank you. Uh, just lastly on that, I mean, we, our feeling is like if, if they're bringing more customers to Park Street, then yeah, it's, it's a good thing. If the parklet's sitting there empty all the time and it's not actually bringing more customers to Park Street, then it's a liability and it should be removed. Um, Mr. Thomas, you mentioned Twirl, which is like a cute children's activity center on Park Street between, closer to Santa Clara, but yeah. between Santa Clara and Central. Is there parklet on Park Street or is it in the back on the parking lot? It's on Park Street. They've removed the one on the back. Oh, okay. Yeah, the one okay. on the back was sort of an enclosed children's play area. Their proposal for the one on the front is to sort of share it with some of the, their neighbors as well. So it'll be a mix of um, uh, sort of an art space, but also clothing display space. Okay, their vision of that block is sort of like it's the kids' block. There's the children's stores right there. There's their children's resale. Well, not reselling yeah, yeah, children, yeah, but reselling their clothes. But yes. Yeah, you know better but, than I do. Yeah. Things. Okay. Okay. So they're now in Park Street. I know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> I had twins. I bought a lot of clothes at those sorts of things. I still have twins, but I don't buy their clothes. <laughs> Councilmember Vela, maybe get, get, getting late. Um, just for, for clarification, one of the factors is, or is one of the factors that staff is considering or could considering consider is how many parklets are 
being proposed. And that is something that we're looking at, right? So yeah. there's there's kind of competition, so to speak, or there could be competition where not everyone is going to get one. At this point, what we have is we have basically a list of 20 parklets mm -hmm. where we believe we have 20 businesses that want to keep a parklet. Um, we went around, as I said, we went around to some of the others that didn't seem to be using them, and they were like, yeah, you're right, we're not using it. And we were like, well, then get rid of it. Um, there's one more to go, which is rise, and that's more of an issue of just it's unsafe with mm -hmm. the pedestrian crossing. Um, so that's how Robert, Mr. Vance, decided how many of those barricades we need mm -hmm. to buy. Um, we don't see it. I mean, we, we, we don't see like a bunch of new businesses coming in tomorrow and saying, hey, we want parklets too. We think the people who want parklets have them now. Um, and so um, we think it's going to be pretty stable. It's been fairly stable for the last few years. And so to that point, um, the council could give direction saying this is the number, that we're going to cap it at this number. And should somebody decide to give up their parklet, somebody else could come in and apply for that space. Yeah, you could. The council could say, we want no more than 20 parklets. There's, and I think we would have to think a little bit about, OK, 20. And that's, that's what we're capping it at. No one else gets a new parklet unless one of the existing businesses relinquishes theirs or, or gets revoked because they're not complying with their requirements. What, what would the cost be of if we did have, let's say, a new business come in and say, hey, I want a parklet? What we have talked about doing is saying, look, we're, we're doing a one-time purchase of these barricades. If somebody else wants to come in and bring in a parklet, they're going to be responsible for buying their own barricades, but they have to have barricades. So the cost would be the 240, meet our guidelines, and go out and buy your barricades. Well, we would buy them. and. I think we would buy them and charge them for it. Uh, we haven't really talked that through. But essentially, this is a one-time, we're thinking this is a one-time investment by the city of Alameda in barricades. Thank you. And I have a question, which is, and I'll go to you, Vice Mayor. Um, do we have, on every block of Park Street and Webster Street, um, at least one disabled parking space? Uh, on each block? On each block? Um, on both <clears throat> sides of the street? Uh, they're not on both sides of the street. Um, I think the total was three on Webster. I'll just check my notes. Um, Lisa Foster did some work on this. Ms. Foster to the rescue. Do you have those numbers at the <laughs> tip of your? <laughs> Good evening. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. Um, yeah, we don't have on street uh, on street blue zones in our um, commercial districts in a big way up till now. So this is us adding more, and we have um, what, what are these numbers? Adding and five on park, and and we're getting at least one per both sides of a block. Some of them are on adjacent streets, so they might be on the side street, uh, but, but right at the corner. So um, as it stands today, or when this plan is um, presumably implemented, we won't have a disabled parking spot in every block 
on both sides of the street? That's correct. You could give guidance if you want to make that happen with this, or we um, that MTC grant um, will fund us doing more curb zones, including ADA zones. So we can also wait until we have that funding and install more using that funding next year or thereafter. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that when we actually do discussion. That was just a clarifying question, but thank you for that. But on, oh, before I go to Vice Mayor Daysog, um, it is almost um, 11 o'clock, time flies, and so we need to do a motion. Help us out, Madam Clerk. So the remaining items are 7C, which is the revenue measure, 7D, which is the wood school easements, 5D, which is the strategic plan, 5Q, which is the rent CIP ordinance, and the two referrals. So I would like to see us get through the full regular agenda um, to finish B that we're on, get C and D done. Um, and I, I know at least one of my council members is um, uh, coughing a bit. And so I don't know how late people want to keep going. I would, I would like to get through those. If the council referrals don't get, um, don't come up tonight, I could live with that. But. Um, I'm one vote. What does everybody think? So what about the other items that she listed? Yeah, my point, what I was saying is that I could live with the council referrals coming back next time. Because it's, like I said, it's, it is. But the items that were pulled, what, where do you, do you want those tonight or not? The, um. 5D and Q, which was the strategic plan and the rent CIP. Those were the pulled consent items. Yeah, um, I um, I don't want to be here all night, and it's almost 11 o'clock, so we could, I mean, we could say that those two, if we get to them before midnight, we hear them, but at midnight, I'm adjourning this meeting, um, or they could be in the um, item six position for the next meeting, meaning they'll come up first after the consent calendar. That's that's you know the reason we did that. So, what do folks think, Councilmember Jensen? Um, they'll come up with the consent calendar. No, no, they will as soon as we finish the consent calendar next time. That item they'll six. They'll be continued. Yeah, because item right. five is our consent. No, item six is the. Um, I just wanted to ask um, staff if there was any urgency for either of those items. Staff. I'll start with the strategic plan. There's there's no urgency, um, so I think on the 21st, I think we're fine with that moving. And the other one was, remind me again. Right. The, CIP. the CIP ordinance, uh, and, and council members, there's no urgency on the CIP ordinance. Then I'll um, suggest, I'll support the idea of getting out by midnight. Okay, so we are, we're adjourning at midnight. We're going to be really efficient with our time, but what we will we'll take it in order, and um, with we will hear at the end of the regular agenda item, we will hear the pulled consent calendar items if we get to them by then. Otherwise, they go over to item six on the next one. Okay, we have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second. I, my preference would be to hear the CIP item before the strategic plan, but. If, if that's if, if the maker well, of the motion usually we would do numerical order but what, what was the numerical order it, we would still do 7c and 7d um, and then if we get to the consent calendar item we would just switch those two and we would do the CIP and then the strategic plan and 
Okay. Yes, I support that. Okay. okay. Well, staff seems to be okay with it. So, so I'll second, second the motion. Okay. So we have a motion and we have a second, but we've got to get all this done before midnight. Um, is, are we good? Yeah, we just need a vote. Okay, we need a vote. Um, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay, let's go for it. Okay, come on back. <laughs> all right, did we finish our clarifying questions? No, we didn't. I was going to you next, wasn't I? Yes. Vice Mayor, sorry. Uh, gosh. Um, so my question is, um, you know, if we didn't do uh, the parklet programs, um, you know, how much more um, room um, would that give us in terms of, you know, how we do um, bike lanes on Park Street and Webster Street? I mean, does that, is there, you know? Uh, I think the easy way to think about it is every business, most businesses have a parking space within, in front of their, of their business. And really the way we've restructured this with the restriping plan is a business can either have parking or a parklet in front of their business, but not both. Mm -hmm. So, and we're making the parklets be the width of a parking space. Mm -hmm. So, if you, if the council were to say, you know what, we're just tired of this parklet program, or mm -hmm. we don't want to buy the barricades, um, you would, you could still move forward with I your see. striping plan. We wouldn't change the striping plan. Mm -hmm. We just wouldn't buy the barricades, and we would say, hey, from now on, the on-street parking is just for on-street parking. No, you don't get to do. I see. Thank you. One more clarifying question. Councilmember, um, yes, Councilmember Jensen, Madam let Mayor. me call on you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, there's these numbers in the, the presentation. I, I apologize for not ask, asking before, but I'm looking at Park Street, San Jose to San Antonio. There's these boxes with 311514. I'm just don't, they're not defined. Where are, you, where are you looking? I'm looking on page three of the exhibit for Park Street Restriping. Okay. But they're on all of the. Exhibits there. Yep. Um, I apologize for that. But the, the, let's pull it up so the audience can see what we're talking about. The, also, my the, the exhibits were, were based on the, the striping plans, which, which are not in, the not in the PowerPoint, but they're, they were exhibits attached. Oh. So th those are the technical drawings. And so those are noting details like what kind of striping it is or okay. where the bike parking Nothing is. Nothing of interest. Things. To the decision <laughs> well, they're of interest to the contractor. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, w I will say I, I raised with the city manager that these were probably not the most layperson-friendly lay um, drawings, and she said, you should have seen them before we made the adjustment. City manager, did you want to? <coughs> no, I, I was just going to say those are notes. Uh, contractors, and so they're important on the construction drawings, and we tried to take the construction drawings and make them more accessible, and so... Some pros and cons there. Okay. Other clarifying questions before we go to public comment? Let's go to public comment. Madam Clerk? Okay, I'll call five so people can be ready. Um, Michael Yakura, Karen Miller, Kathy Weber, Ron Mooney, and Zach Bowling. So that sounds like two minutes per speaker, right? Yes. Oh, yes. And we have more room out, too. So we're on. Welcome. Good evening. Uh, I'm Mike Yakura. I'm the owner of Spinning Bones Restaurant um, on Park Street at San Jose. I'm currently the owner of one of the larger parklets, which is going to get cut in half because of the new uh, restriping. Again, my width will be in, in, in half. We were allowed to build a larger size parklet at the beginning when this was temporary. They said, you can build up to here, and we did, and that's why we had the larger spaces. Um, going forward, 
Um, I believe in this, of this program. I believe in the Parklets. I believe in what it did for us. It was a necessity coming out of the pandemic. Obviously, you know, that's, that's um, what it was. But now it's, it's, a, it's a great, um, the worth, and it's a great luxury to have for dining on, on Park Street. It's a, a great luxury for our customers as well. Um, we still use it on a regular basis as far as lunch and dinner all the time. We always have people in there, and it's always a choice. And now it's become a choice as far as would you rather like to sit inside or outside. And frankly, most people want to sit outside. Last weekend, we were, it was a beautiful day. It's November in California, and it was a beautiful day. And everybody wanted to sit outside instead. You know, so it gave our customers a choice. It's not even for us, per se, as far as this program is, but for our customers, a new dining experience, an alternative dining experience for what, what this is. And vibrancy within the, the, uh, the corridor, within the district. Um, so I, the program works. I, I think it's fantastic. I think what you've got is a, a plan is great. Uh, the only thing we'll push back on is, is uh, the public part of it, as far as the, the verbiage that says being in a public access to our spaces. Um, as owners, we take on the financial responsibility. There is, it is a lot as far as what it costs to maintain and, and, and have these spaces, as well as takes on the, um, the liability with taxes, we're not insurance. Um, and so that's the one thing I'll push back on as far as actually making it a, um, a public spaces as far as we're going to have to own it. We're going to be liable for those people in there all the time. And I would ask you to um, let us keep our ownership of our own spaces that, that we've purchased from the city. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Karen Miller. Welcome, Speaker Miller. Thank you. I'm, on, <clears throat> I'm speaking against the current plan. The parklets were created as an emergency reaction to the pandemic and were never meant to be permanent. No sequel was done in the justification for this current modification that none needs to be done as this modification, this modification is of an existing program. I put on a poll on Nextdoor a week ago and as of six o'clock tonight, there were 100, excuse me, 555 votes and it has been consistently a 60-40 spread that they need to go. I'm not claiming that this is a scientific poll, but I'm also not dismissing the number of people who have participated in the lively discussion that has ensued, and I hope that you won't either. The majority of the correspondents to this item um, on the website said the same. I totally understand the need for them during the pandemic as restaurants were not able to accommodate diners inside, and I did use them during that time. There are some restaurants that have wider sidewalks with outside table seating offered without obstructing the street. I understand that moving curbs and gutters is an expensive proposition, but that is what was approved on Grand Street and was a much better solution that was originally proposed. There would be no need for concrete barriers. Also, the concrete barriers in the conversation you were having, you said it takes one parking place, but then you have to add the concrete barrier to that too to, that takes up the street. Um, <clears throat> I had a conversation with someone in the fire department and they have asked for the city for 12 foot lanes when the streets are being restriped, but have been told that that's impossible if bike lanes are added. I've seen emergency vehicles stopped in traffic and unable to get by as there's nowhere for cars to pull over with a combination of parked cars and parklets. It seems to me that keeping the streets safe for emergency vehicles should take precedent over adding bike lanes. A design with wider sidewalks to accommodate walkers and outside tables would serve the same purpose with having without having to have the structures that we currently have that will undoubtedly be covered in plastic sheeting in the winter months and be surrounded by concrete barriers. Can't we think outside the box and create something that we all can be proud of than barreling forward with the same ideas? Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Kathy Weber. Welcome, Speaker Weber. Thank you, Mayor and Council Members. I'm Kathy Weber, the Executive Director with Downtown Alameda. And on behalf of the 400 plus businesses that uh, we represent, 
we are in support of continuing the current two-lane configuration that provides traffic calming and enhances pedestrian safety. The restriping plan also provides clarity by moving the parking to the curb closer to the meters, and it strategically adds handicapped short-term and 15-minute parking spaces as well as centralized loading zones. We support the continuation of the Parklet program. <coughs> Parklets provide a vibrancy, energy, and an economic driver that benefits the entire district, not just the Parklet permit holders. And the variety of uses with restaurants, bars, retail, and others enhances the downtown experience for neighboring businesses, services, vendors, and, and locals. These activation plans also include opportunities for entertainment, education, and economic development by offering uh, spaces for small vendors to try their hand at retail, thus providing an incubator program and a pathway to become a brick and mortar business that has happened with two businesses here in Alameda as a direct result of the Parklet program. Our small businesses continue to need the support of the city and our residents as they regain their footing post-pandemic and navigate current economic, the current economic landscape. We are grateful for the city's time and we appreciate um, the considerable investment that our parklet owners have made into this program. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Ron Mooney. Oh, welcome Speaker Mooney. Good uh, late evening, Mayor and Council Members. Um, thank you for consideration of the continued commercial streets and parklet program. I hope each of you will support the staff work and recommendations to continue the programs, configuring the streets for bike lanes, installing new barricades, and moving parking back to the curb. Regarding the street reconfiguration, we're very supportive of the new design. We're especially excited for the bicycle lane. Our downtown does not need to be a four-lane <coughs> thoroughfare. One lane in each direction for autos makes so much sense. It is better for the businesses by creating a calmer experience. More importantly, it's better for pedestrian and bicycle safety. I would love to see the bike lane to be as visible as possible, potentially by adding green paint or treatment to it um, so it's clear. I personally would love to see these whopping five blocks that's been reduced posted at 20 miles per hour, but I know that's not part of the staff recommendations. Living and working on the street, I can tell you traffic flows are just fine most hours of the day. This includes emergency vehicles being able to proceed at a quick pace. Certainly there are some times when the 13 and 14 under block gets backed up. It really is on first Sundays and when there's a major bridge or train event happening at the north end. Otherwise, it goes just fine. Regarding the Parklet program, we're very excited to see it continue. They add vitality and liveliness and excitement to the area. My hope is that you will allow Parklet owners to restrict the use to their customers or visitors during their business hours. Of course, after hours, the Parklet should be public spaces. Again, thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Our next speaker, Zach Bowling. Uh, <clears throat> Welcome, Speaker Bowling. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, I just want to say thank staff for the report and their work on this, and I agree with the recommendations that they're making here. Um, I think it's a great strategy giving Council's previous direction to staff, which I also agree with. 
Um, I love the additional green loading zones to deal with double parking issues. Uh, Webster's gaining parking while uh, park is losing parking, but we have a giant parking garage and it's never full. Um, I'm gonna be brief. I actually wrote a really long letter, um, but then I realized I'm reiterating all the same points that we did when we first had this discussion around this entire effort. So I'm not. I'm gonna try to be brief and just sort of skip through some of this stuff. Um, as we know, cities are restructuring their urban cores. They're they're redesigning them to be more pedestrian friendly. Then we're building spaces that we ultimately want people to actually visit, not drive through. And that's what a lot of this program is important for. Um, it's sort of an unscientific survey of folks in our community that I've done on social media, not next door, um, but the rest of social media. The parklets have been a huge success in our community. People love them. I can't say how many times that I've gone to a parklet and I've had unexpected experiences just running to people in our community. And that wouldn't happen by having massive car lanes through an environment that don't really help promote our businesses. Um, the changes that are necessary, these are necessary to help commerce in our city. The changes in retail habits, this is the way that we sustain our retail environments. But it's also important for like in the last item, we talked about climate change and sea level rise. And the car reduction is part of that. It's this big solution. But on top of that, we can't forget like the pedestrian safety improvements. And I can't, I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that didn't say that Park and Webster today aren't safer than they were before. And with the additional changes with these parking barriers, it's gonna get even better. So I would just ultimately ask council to accept the report, move forward with the agreements, and allow staff to move on with this parklet program. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is remote, uh, Linda Asbury. Welcome, Speaker Asbury. Hi, Speaker Asbury. Are you there? I am. I had to unmute myself. Uh, good evening, and Madam Mayor and Council. Uh, we're representing the Webster Street businesses and our board of directors. We're so in support of this program. And I, a couple clarifications. On Webster, we only have actually two. We have a third one that is in the process of applying. So we're not as impacted. Uh, I've worked closely with Lisa on the striping, on where we're going to put handicap parking. So that's all working really well, even though there may not be two in any one block, we've made sure they're on a side street. And then a clarification for the healing garden, that is not a public, well, we've made it a public place. That is a commercial lot privately owned that the West Alameda Business Association leases. And we have opened it up to everyone in the community. Many of our nonprofits have made really good money doing fundraisers, but it should not be considered in open spaces for public because it's really not a city public area, if that makes sense, uh, even though we consider the healing garden should be for everyone. So I would encourage you to go forward with this. It's been just such a good community builder for us and for, uh, of course, downtown. And we like to consider ourselves a second downtown and enjoy our neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, James Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Hello, uh, I'm James and I live near South Shore. Uh, COVID has been a difficult time, but one of the positive outcomes that I loved was the additional outdoor dining opportunities that it brought to areas like Park Street. 
allows us to get some fresh air, minimize risk of COVID and other diseases, and have a quieter, more open space to enjoy. Or at least it would be quiet if I was not sitting five feet away from a constant stream of traffic. My request today for the short term, yeah, go with the proposed restriping plan, but allow the larger size parklets. Don't favor parking over a parklet. That is crazy. It preserves the valuable and attractive parklets and ensures the safer form of bike infrastructure that we didn't have before COVID. Uh, what's been identified by the city is a high injury corridor. However, I'd love it if we can have some vision on how we want to evolve this space in the long term. Park Street should stand for a park, not for parking. Please take a look at the written correspondence I sent. I will only summarize it now. My dream is that we could turn this into a pedestrianized Mecca worthy of a new name like the Alameda Park Promenade or something like that. First, eliminate all the through traffic, reserving lanes only for AC transit or other special permitted vehicles. I personally always avoid driving on Park Street anyway, even before COVID. Next, eliminate all street parking, except for a few accessible parking places. We have a parking garage, as well as many surfing parking lots nearby. And then finally, permanently widen the sidewalks by at least 10 to 20 feet on each side. Everything else here has been in service of widening the sidewalk, and the end result is quiet, safe, scenic, and attractive outdoor restaurant and shopping district that doesn't have the incessant roar and safety threat of the automobile. The significant additional sidewalk space can be turned over to the business owners who I am sure can set up very nice, permanent outdoor dining and shopping areas, attractive landscaping and hardscaping like planters, trees, gas, grassy areas, so on to fill the gaps. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Joanne Guattari, Guattari? Uh, Speaker Guattari, welcome. Yes, thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor, City Council, and City staff. My name is Joanne Guattari, the owner of Cafe Jolie and Jonah Petit. I currently participate in the parlet, parklet program that's, that was initiated during the pandemic. I'd like to see the parklets continue with the following reasons. Outdoor dining significantly contributes to the economy. One, stimulating the hospitality sector. Outdoor dining enables restaurants to increase their capacity. Utilizing outdoor spaces allows businesses to serve more customers, thereby increasing their revenue. This added income is critical, particularly for independent restaurants. Two, job creation. The increased business activity resulting from outdoor dining leads to more jobs from chefs to servers, back of house and management. Outdoor dining areas require an extra hands on deck. This job creation in turn benefits the wider economy. Three, increased footfall. Outdoor dining areas can attract more people to an area. This increased footfall benefits not only the restaurant themselves, but also nearby shops and um, services. Most importantly, eating al fresco is about more than just the meal. It's part of a larger, more meaningful experience. You're playing a role in the economic force that has influenced job creation and stimulating the hospitality sector, thus making our city more vibrant and alive. I'm asking City Council to approve the extension of the parklets and to issue updated parklet license agreements. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Our next speaker. Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Jar Garfinkel. Good evening, again. Um, over the last two years or so, council has instructed staff to do various chores, evaluate this, evaluate that, but I could not find any specific vote to continue the parklet program. Might have missed it, but I didn't see that. Uh, the throttling of traffic is a hazard 
to the entire island, people uh, needing to exit in an emergency uh, would be severely stymied. Uh, converting it to a walking mall uh, looks nice, but where's the traffic gonna go? Uh, I believe state law requires a certain amount of uh, handicap parking within a certain distance of businesses. I don't know if that applies to Park Street, but it would seem to me that there must be some regulation to comply with. Uh, idling cars on Park Street uh, puts out more CO2. Um, as I understand it, the parklet owners are using the property uh, free of rent. Uh, $2,400 a year is uh, trivial and just covers administrative expenses. They are using uh, what would be a paying revenue uh, generating uh, parking meter uh, uh, fees. Uh, this probably amounts to about $500 uh, a month or $6,000 a year. And I believe that the fees should recoup this money that is otherwise uh, lost uh, to the city. Uh, the parklets represent a benefit since they are almost no cost to the business owners. They do not benefit the uh, wider uh, public. And I've not talked to anybody other than uh, conflict of interest people who are in favor of them. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Alex Spear. Welcome, Speaker Spear. Good evening. Hello. Oh, hi. Um, so I'd like to say I have no conflict of interest here other than living in walking distance of Webster Street, which I love going to. Um, I think you've done a great job with this whole presentation of business. Um, and I'd just like to say that I am pro Parklet. I would like to pro uh, the bike walk group, their comments. And um, I would be very much in favor of closing off Webster and Park Street for one day of the month or something and pedestrianizing it and see how that goes as a trial basis. Um, looks a little bit outside the scope of this, but you know, um, we should be talking about it because I think it would be cool. And um, that's it. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, we'll go back to the next two in person. Um, Barbara Mooney and then I think Rayla Graver left. So just Barbara, Barbara here. Yeah. Welcome Speaker Mooney. Second speaker Mooney. We're partying really late. Um. Huh. <laughs> um, We've only just begun. <laughs> um, I was going to talk for my little speech here, but first I want to talk about the safety of one lane each way. Most of the time, it's plenty fine. There's not that much traffic. As somebody who's worked on Park Street in the very center of downtown for 18 years and for the last five years has lived right there, I can tell you that the difference is immense in the safety. Before we resell those children, we brag about being a town that really loves children. Children and fast cars are not a good combination. It has gone so much better since we've had one lane each way. Um, we used to have consistent problems with um, cars getting swiped and their mirrors getting taken off. At least once a month I was out with somebody crying because their mirror had been taken off their car. Um, I once had to call the police because a guy in front of Burma said he was going to pull out his gun over double parking. There was sometimes up to five cars double parked. So the lane really wasn't in existence anyway, and it was 
constant battle. You could always hear the screeching cars and parents were always clinching their kids' hands. And now we have parklets and things where we're really, the one thing that's been so hard since COVID as a business owner is watching what evenings were like before COVID on Park Street and after. And it has been so hard to really get people to enjoy our lovely California evenings on Park Street. And they're coming back and they're really enjoying that time. Two nights ago, there were two different birthdays as I'm sitting in my living room at Burma and I sing happy birthday to all of them. It's so fun. It's like getting to be at a party every day that I don't have to clean up. And some little guy named Scott made his first soccer goal. Thank you so much. Our time's up, but that's thank you. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Uh, is a remote speaker, uh, Cindy Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Good evening, Mayor Ezzie Ashcraft and members of the council. I'm speaking tonight as a board member of Bikewalk Alameda and just wanted to reiterate our support for staff's recommendations. While we're eager for even better bike facilities, the overall changes are definitely the right direction in our minds in terms of street safety, enhanced multimodal access, livability, and economic vitality. We pose some suggestions in our letter that we hope you'll consider, but we're also sensitive to the risk of delay and don't want to jeopardize the work that's been done to get these upgrades delivered soon. We hope you'll approve staff's recommendations tonight and that we'll all be enjoying these changes early next year. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, that was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we will close public comment and we will come back to um, the council. Council Member Vela. Um, so I'm gonna try to keep it brief. I, I support staff re staff's recommendations with a couple caveats. Um, one, I, I think that this is a good number of parklets. I think that we're gonna create, or there are, are gonna be additional potential issues that are unforeseen if we're having to order one-offs in the future and things like that. So I do, I, I do think that capping it, um, it would be good. Um, just because we've done the analysis, we know how many parking spaces we have, we know how many you know, different types of spots we have. I don't really want to spend a lot more time doing those different analyses. I think it's really staff, like it's burdensome in terms of the amount of staff work. So um, thank you for doing this work. Um, let's cap it. Um, the, the second thing is, uh, you know, in the event that, that they go away for whatever reason, voluntarily or otherwise, I would also like to, to put some sort of matrix together and, and say, you know, look, we're, we're just not gonna use these for gyms. Like, they're just never gonna be for gyms. They're gonna be for retail or they're gonna be for restaurants, but we're, there's certain uses that we're just not, we're not gonna do that. So um, gyms would be one that I would put on there. Grocery would be another. Um, like, I think some retail is fine, but food retail would be a bizarre use for a parklet and I think create other issues. So I just think, you know, being very clear about what sorts of business activities can take place out there would be helpful. And then finally, I would just encourage future councils, I'm not gonna be on the council after next year, but future councils, as you're looking at this, if, if this does become a permanent thing, I do think that there is, um, uh, you know, potentially, if you are gonna spend staff time and resources looking at making this more permanent, really looking at the upgrades that have been discussed, the upgrades that have been discussed uh, and put forward by Bike Walk, um, some of the uh, 
upgrades that have been discussed by speakers here about widening the sidewalk and things like that. There may be places that it makes sense long term to create that wider sidewalk um, and to and to really go go you know do it the right way, make it look nice. Um, I think a lot of our sidewalks could could use a little TLC on Park Street and Webster. And so when that time comes, when we're looking to do that work, I would just encourage future councils, and I want it noted, to really look at doing the widening work, look at doing the gutter repairs. We're gonna have to do a lot of that work anyways with some of the infrastructure work that's coming up. So as we're thinking about that, um, that would be the time, and I would love to see those two things overlap so that we can move away from kind of continued temporariness um, to a more, more permanency that looks good um, and also is safer and cleaner. Thank you. Councilmember Jensen, then you, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Um, Sorry, I just had, I have one clarifying question or an, an one question that came up um, through the public comments that I wanted to. Um, get some input from staff. Did staff ever consider as um, either when the parklets were first established or as we're go going to consider continuing in um, the parklets, did staff ever consider an option of wider sidewalks rather than, uh, rather than having parklets? Not seriously, just because of the cost. I mean, Councilor Jensen, please let the staff person finish and then I won't let people talk over you, but please don't talk over staff. So Mr. Thomas, back to you and then Councilor Jensen. Okay. A great question. Um, the cost to uh, extend sidewalks is, is, is a lot. Um, and because you're rebuilding gutters as well um, re re the, and dealing with the curve of the street. So um, it, it's, this program has always been some, you know, designed as something we could do very quickly and very inexpensively. And so that was never really seriously considered as part of the program. Um, certainly something the city, as Council Member Vela said, in, in the future when you think about reconstructing streets, um, something to think about in the future. Thank you. Um, and so uh, we heard tonight what, what what some consider congestion might be thought of is thought of by others as reduced potential for injury by vehicles, and the addition of the turn lanes I think is great is a really great option. I think that um, I heard we heard from people who live right in the middle of Park Street that they believe that this is is a working the two lanes is working to um, reduce traffic to reduce injuries and to reduce tension among people trying to park. I, I, um, I think that the establishment of bike lanes can only improve access to both Park and Webster for, for families and bicyclists and youth. And business and bicyclists and Alameda dogs, we're all gonna benefit from the parklet program and I'm supportive of, of this project and continuing. Vice Mayor Desai. Uh Yes, question. Um, a point that uh, Council Member Vela had raised kind of um, uh, prodded a question in mind, perhaps for the city attorney. Um, does the zoning of a building end at the building? Um, and so if we limit the type of um, commercial activities on the parklet itself, do, well, that, that's not consistent with the zoning. Can we do that? Because is the parklet area a right of way? City council. Attorney Shen will um, we'll punt that to you. Council member, the council has wide latitude to okay. limit any type of activities 
in the parklet, if that answers your question. Okay, all right. So it's not inconsistent so then, then with, I mean, if the zoning says you can do sports athletic activities, um, but if we decide to make the parklet preclude sports, that, that is within that our, our exercise. Well we within exercise. your discretion. Okay. Thank you. Off for you. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Let Councilmember Bella, um, Councilmember Harris Spencer, then Bella, and then I'll speak last. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Thank you for everyone for your comments. Um, so when I look at Park Street, I just want to make sure I have this right. We're just going to have one lane each way and no center lane on these streets. Yeah, the, the, the two travel lanes is like what we have today. Okay, so when I go on Park Street, uh, quite often it's backed up into the intersections uh, if you're trying to get, so but I cannot figure out how the emergency vehicles can actually travel when, when I, in, in a single car, can't get down the street. Where do the emergency vehicles go? The street will function as a, you'll have two 11 foot lanes with two foot of buffer space between the lane and the and the um, and the bike lane then there's the bike lane and then there's the parking lane so it's it'll it'll serve just like every other two lane road but we'll actually have additional space all right so could someone pull up that uh, drawing then because like if you look at Broadway there's not all the barriers and you can get out that I agree there's two lanes there but there's not all those barriers so that you can get out of the way right Broadway's a three-lane road okay so that's why you can get out of the way yeah, so you have the center turn lane on Broadway right that's what you're referring to there's a there's not always a center lane but there's uh, space I don't think there's a consistent center lane down Broadway not, yeah, from, uh, from yeah. Some parts of Broadway have a center turn lane. I think some just have the bike lanes, but um, I, I think what you're asking, the, the cars can pull off to the side using the bike lane, and then that would allow more space for emergency vehicles to go through. But isn't the proposal here that we would have some sort of barrier between the bike lane and the cars? Oh, the buffered bike lane, is that what you're asking about? Yeah, yeah. And so Could I, you, you kind of just like... Yeah, in, in, in some areas, like, um, where there isn't parking, there's opportunities to have separation. Um, so like bollards or something like that, to, to so people aren't double parking in, in the bike lane. So that So that's the difference, though, from what we currently have on Broadway. We don't have the bollard, so you can actually get out of the way. And when someone's double parking, you can go around them because there's more flexibility with fewer of these barriers. Um, and and the prop, so I I don't I can't figure out how this works practically speaking in regards to emergency vehicles. And we, of course, we all know we have vehicles that double park, and you you can't get around them. The cars are stopped. It's, there's there's no movement. So is there a way to add uh, more flexibility? Like, do you have to have the bollard so you can't pull over into the bike lane like you do on Broadway when an emergency vehicle comes through? Well, that, that would be the, the flexibility, but what you would be sacrificing is 
you'd be reducing the safety of the bike lane in those locations where you remove the barrier, the, the, the bollards. Right, so, um, but then. But that's the trade-off. Exactly, and I appreciate that. That's the trade-off. And I think we have a real problem when we're having our, uh, when we don't have that flexibility. And I think that's what we see. And you do see cars that are double parked all over. I think the idea of the bollards in those, and it's not continuously down the street in this plan, it's just, in, as Robert said, in certain locations um, where there's, we're just trying to make it very clear to cars that you shouldn't park in that space and you shouldn't park in the bike lane. Um, we've recommended the, the bollards. Um, they are the plastic bollards, the, uh, an emergency vehicle can, go right over them. But I'm not talking about the emergency vehicle going over the bollards. I'm talking about the car getting out of the way for the emergency vehicle to pass. So is that staff's, it's, that's no, what we're supposed to do? You can certainly remove the plastic bollards from, to protect the bike lane, and that would give you that flexibility. So that would be my proposal, is that we just have regular painted bike lanes there, and that we can uh, move over and keep the traffic going. I think we're good, you know, honestly, it's, we need to have our emergency vehicles be able to get on uh, through Park and Webster. And uh, honestly, when I'm driving down Webster, I think that, that that street doesn't get held up like Park Street does. I think the traffic does continue to flow there. Um, but I do have, you know, I see it on Park all the time. And uh, as much as we don't think an accident's gonna happen and we, we, it is our job to be prepared for that. Uh, so I, so, uh, I mean, so this is what, you know, in regards, regards to staff's uh, recommendation here with these bollards, I think then we're just all gonna have to just be frozen until we can finally go to, so that an emergency vehicle can, can get to where it needs to go, which I don't think is actually a good plan. The, the council could direct us to remove the bollards so, so that would be my uh, one of my suggestions. I do like the idea also of extending the uh, sidewalk. Um, I think those are much safer where, where our restaurants actually have the, um, you know, private, it's business area, private area out on the street, what used to be, you know, sidewalk and street. But when the sidewalks are wide enough that you can have pedestrians plus the, um, uh, tables or whatnot on the sidewalk, then I think that's much safer. I also have a concern in regards to these decorative cement barriers. That's been an ongoing concern of mine. Um, other cities required during COVID the K rails that we use in our city out at the point that are 20 feet long. The ones that are proposed here are four feet uh, long, which there's no way if a car hits so something that's four feet long that is gonna provide the same protection of something that's 20 feet long. So I see that also as just, uh, you know, honestly a, a serious accident just waiting to happen. Uh, I would have concerns like twirl. Uh, so they are having kids out in the street playing. That's what this is, their parklet. Is their parklet in the street? It's in the parking lane. So they're, so, so they have kids in a parking lane uh, in a street. Uh, I think that's extremely not safe. 
Um, I definitely think for a business like that with kids playing that they should be on a sidewalk at least, but not in a street. Um, uh, and, and I actually just want to say that publicly to make sure that any parent that's thinking you're being responsible having your kids playing in a street, uh, with, uh, would they have these four-foot barriers? Would they be connected somehow so that they provide the same protection of a 20-foot rail that is a single piece? Um, they can be connected with a, a wire. There's a, there's a hole that's drilled through the side, and they can be connected for, for more security. So it's my understanding that still does not provide the same protection of a 20-foot single piece. They're, they're not as heavy. Um, they're, they're not highway rated like a K-Rail would be. That's true. Yeah, so I but think they are we're protective you know, for this application. I'm not, sorry, I'm not trying oh, to. Oh, no, no. So I appreciate that. So it's, I'm happy to ask this question. So it's staff's opinion that a car can, or we have emergency vehicles, we have diesel trucks, right? Do, do we have trucks go on park? Are there ever trucks? So it's staff's position that these trucks can hit uh, these uh, four foot long uh, decorative cement barriers and uh, the child's gonna be safe in at Twirl Plain in the street. Um, could you amplify on the question the council member asked? Are you, I think, said it, um, Mr. Vance, that these barricades aren't highway rated? Tell us what that means, if you would. Well, I just, I just mean that uh, a K-Rail is specifically designed to meet Caltrans standards to be used on a freeway as a barrier. These, these aren't designed to the same standard. What standard are they designed to? Well, they're, they're re reinforced concrete, and they, um, um, I, what I have is information about their weight and you know what they're, what they're built from, but they're, they don't have the same, the, you know, they're for a low-speed application such as this. Is there a range of speeds? I don't have information on that that I can give. I can just give the, the weight comparison to um, a camera. The, the council member's asking the questions. It just raised those questions in my mind. So back to you. So we have had a, high, we have had a very serious high-speed collision on Park Street uh, just during <coughs> the time I've lived here. Um, uh, I'm sure all of you know in front of the bike, the bike shop, right? Uh, so we do have high-speed collisions on Park Street. So, so those are some of my concerns. I would really like to figure out a way to make this uh, work for the businesses. I do support that they've um, invested time, and, on, and I do um, frequent businesses and use the parklets. Uh, I, I personally like it when they're on the side street, like Cafe Jolie or La, La Penca Azul, they have them on the side street. I think that they're safer being on the side street um, rather than on the main street. So the businesses that do that, I think those are different considerations. Um, and so I don't think one size fits all. And um, why, why does staff not recommend K-Rails? Mayor, would you like me to well, field questions? Um, still? Of course, okay. yes. All right. Um, yes, the, the K-Rails are not as configurable. Like you said, they're, they're 20-foot they're 20 sections. These are configurable so they can be surrounding the entire parklet. And they're, these are the, this is the standard that council approved um, you know, prior to this meeting. So that's, that's what we were proceeding with. The style. This is what we were trying. Okay, to. so I appreciate that when the parking space, when the parklets though are the length of multiple 
at least if they're 20 feet or more, couldn't you do a K-rail and then just add the decorative on the side? That's, yeah, that's possible. What, what site are you talking about when you say add them on the, the side? the other issue we were trying to deal with, we were trying to create a more attractive look. I mean, one of the things that we heard loud and clear in past hearings was trying to improve the design aspect of this program, trying to improve the appearance of Park Street. Um, we saw similar K-rails up in Truckee and not K-rails, these sort of decorative, other city has been using them, they do look a lot neater, they don't look like a freeway construction site, they look like something that is designed for a downtown application. Um, they are certainly a lot more protection than an eight inch curb, which is where most pedestrians are walking and sitting, so I mean this, this it's, level of safety, it's, no, you're absolutely right. A highway rated K-rail is gonna be the safest, um, but it's also gonna be the least attractive option. This, this option that the council already approved for these decorative barriers are being used in other cities for this application, and they are significantly safer than the eight inch curb that is what we all walk down on a daily basis thinking we're safe, so. Um, that's why we thought this was a good compromise between safety and appearance. So um, when I'm walking down the street, obviously I'm not sitting there for hours. Um, and I'm being right, so the traditional setup is you have your street, you have right your curb, you have parked cars, and then you have the moving cars, so that the moving cars would hit the parked cars before they get to the sidewalk. Isn't that correct? As long as there's a parked car there. Right, and we don't seem to have a shortage of parked cars. Um, uh, but but I, uh, I do support having it come back with some corrections moving forward. I, I think this is, I think we have to put safety first. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Bella, you've already. Oh, yeah, and just one other thing is, you know, this design is something that was unanimously voted on fairly recently by a number of other Bay Area cities, including Palo Alto, um, including um, cities in, in um, the North Bay and um, similarly sized to the city of Alameda. So I, this is something when Director Thomas says things like your former emeritus, Director Emeritus Thomas says <clears throat> these things are being <clears throat> voted on and, and adopted, I do think that we are seeing a trend, especially um, in the Bay Area um, and in Los Angeles, of, of doing similar designs. Um, that said, I, I, I do think, you know, keeping in mind as we're doing road, uh, permanent road work moving forward, um, there's going to be opportunities there to perhaps look at more permanent solutions. So thank you for that. So um, just following up, because safety always does have to be first. Um, the fact that um, uh, Mr. Vance doesn't have the speed ratings at his fingertips doesn't mean they don't exist. So I would certainly be um, interested when we know, you know, what those those barriers are rated for, um, and also, um, you know, one of the things I I heard Councilmember Harris Spencer reference the accident that happened in front of the bike store. And are you talking about um, Alameda Bicycle there in the, par the corner of Webb and, um, and Park Street where a couple years ago there was a hor horrible crash? 
It came from Oakland. Um, there was a vehicle of young people, and it was actually there was a fatality, or maybe more than one. They were under the influence of something, way too many in the car. They came zooming over the Park Street Bridge. So um, that was a while ago, um, and you know we hadn't um, and and I mean struck a van that those kinds of things happening on Park Street in the area of the parklets, I'm thinking would be less likely because we now have reduced the, um, the lane configurations to two. But nonetheless, things do happen. I know since we've had the parklets in, we had, I think, La Penca Azul not once but twice got hit. And again, someone driving under the influence. So, but that is why we do these barricades, and that is why I would love to know what the ratings is, because I, wh what the ratings are. I think that would give us more um, information on which to make informed decisions. There was the discussion about needing to get over when a, a fire truck, I think, is probably the widest vehicle we have. Did um, did staff work with our um, with the fire department? Say with, I mean, I I think you usually do consult, but tell us. Tell us about that. Yes, we do. Um, and in terms of the space, I mean, we have, if you think about what we have today, we have the parklet and then the car parked outside of the parklet. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, as like, you know, one of the speakers said, we've allowed them, which in hindsight was probably a mistake, letting um, the parklets be what we call double wides, where they take, you know, they're belt like the, where they're taking up both <coughs> spaces. but. What is in, left in between is essentially the same right of way, the same distance that we have today. So those pinch points are not changing, and we're not getting narrower with this plan than what we have out there today at those places where you have a parklet and a parked car or a double wide parklet across from each other. So um, that's from from our perspective. Like we're, we, you have the the. Uh, the, what I'm trying to say is the, the emergency vehicles are operating today on that street, and this plan is not tightening it for them. Okay, but with the possible exception of the bollards that were discussed, that that might make it more difficult for a... For a, a pedestrian a, car to, to, right. to move into the bike lane, which was the point. So this is, that is, I mean, like, well, we already talked about it. That's a trade-off, right. and safety for the emergency vehicles, which is a safety issue, versus safety for the bicyclist if somebody. So I'm going to say that assuming that staff can come back or they can, we can figure out how to do this as far as direction can give us. I, I just have to think that these barricades used by other cities aren't just a mistake, that there's there's some rating that and, and that it's yes. appropriate for this use. Well, we can get you that rating. Um, so uh, that would be great. So, um, and thank you for all the business folks who spoke because it's helpful to know, and I do appreciate all the time and effort and expense you've gone into um, doing this and doing the outdoor dining or, or retail areas. 
I do think that to the owner of Spinning Bones, one of the restaurants that I <laughs> show up at frequently, but always either take out or eating outdoors because it's true that we have changed the way we do things and we do live in this lovely climate and it's just very pleasant. And I always think for the businesses how nice that they can expand their their um, seating areas. The, um, the one thing I do have a concern with and I would really like to have addressed is the issue of disabled parking. I recently had a house guest, um, a family member who is physically disabled, and it's just one of those eye-opening experiences because I'm more likely to jump on my bike. I've even run into <laughs> Ms. Foster, um, I think, uh, at an outdoor business one time when I'd ridden my bike up, and, uh, and or I walk or whatever, but having to help this family member get to places when they couldn't walk very far at all, um, walking across the street and down the block, if they didn't have me to drop them off. We, um, we went to Golden Gate Park on um, Sunday and it was a beautiful day, but oh my goodness, just trying to get where we were going, because, and I will say JFK Drive is close to auto traffic, which is really quite lovely, but as a designated driver, I did a lot of loops just trying to, but just to get this person to the different destinations where we wanted to take them. So I don't want to foreclose that opportunity. Great that we've got the Civic Center parking garage, um, but somebody who maybe drove themselves and can get out and walk but a little ways, I'm just concerned with them. So how could, how could we address those needs? Absolutely, and that is what adding on the street um, ADA blue zones is is there to help with and um, I think it would be a good idea for the city to uh, emphasize blue zones as we move forward with our with our parking planning because when we think about mode shift and we think about who might need to park a car the people with disabilities is is top in line so you know we have proposed new blue zone spaces with this striping for early next year. Um, we could add more now. One thing that's happened is the public right of way accessibility guidelines, PROWAG, um, has recently been by the federal government. Uh, a final rule has been adopted. The PROWAG guidelines were in in they were just guidelines for like ten years or longer. So this is a big deal, um, and I think using that grant to do a proper assessment of where we need to do on-street blue zones, and then adding more if we need to do more, or maybe adding more, whatever the case, um, would be a great idea for when we are able to use those grant funds. But we could add more now, too, if, if you guys want to direct us to do that. Um, I would like to see wherever possible for there to be, especially if it's a long block. I mean, if it's a short block, maybe it's okay to have to you know, walk across the street or maybe there's a disabled parking on a side street or something like that. Every, every block's a little different, but um, some of our blocks are pretty long ones. And like I said, it just, it was an eye-opening experience that- um, There's definitely more opportunities. We could find more spaces, yeah. Uh, city manager, were you? That's, I'm fine with that. That's fine. Okay. We can. I mean, if you want to give us some general direction to look at the longer blocks and add some more as part of this striping plan, and then we can even do a better job as part of a more comprehensive parking to see if we need to add even more and look at these guidelines in more detail. <coughs> so. That sounds good. I 
I mean, I do think if you're an able-bodied driver, if you've driven, you are right. We've got the Civic Center garage, and and it's going to be it's going to be even better with um, the improvements. But even now, it, it, there's a readout, and it tells you how many spaces are there. And oh yeah, there's. <laughs> it, was there are critical. always spaces there. That readout's not working very well oh, right now. Oh, perfect. Great. Good to know. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Retract that statement. But um, but what, what my point being, I'm not so worried about just adding regular parking spaces on the curb in on Park Street and Webster. But I definitely want to see, make sure we have um, a disabled mm -hmm. spot at least on every block on each side of the street, wherever possible, as much as possible. Um, and so. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think this is a good plan. We never bring anything to the council that everyone loves, but I think that um, on balance, it's just it's been a, a very nice experience, and we have the climate where we can can do this sort of thing. Which is not to say that even cities where there's snow don't do this kind of thing. But anyway, with those those guidelines, directions <coughs> to staff, I'm I would be supportive. Um, any uh, council member for expensive. So I'd be interested in knowing if council is supportive of removing the bollards to add the flexibility for the emergency vehicles to be able to pass so cars can move over. Um, so I, um, uh, so we're, and the reason, come on backup staff. <laughs> the, um, we don't have bollards now, but then we don't have bike lanes on Park Street or Webster Street. Um, so the reason you were putting them up, you would be proposing them, is for safety for the cyclists. So if we if we don't do that, what is well, what does that look like? It's for two things. Um, one is to prevent double parking in the bike lanes. Um, so if the bollards are there, people are less likely to try to park in the bike lanes. Um, and then the other one is to create more separation between traffic and, and people biking. Um, I did hear a suggestion, I rather liked it, of making those bike lanes rather visible by painting them green. I love green paint. Um, did, um, well, especially like on the ground on bike lanes, would, would that, I mean, I know it's not a physical barrier, would that help? Um, well, we, the bike lanes are gonna be really visible with the, with the, with the buffer, they're gonna be marked as bike lanes, they're gonna have the symbols in there. So they're gonna be obviously bike lanes. So I think the green paint doesn't do that much to prevent people from double parking versus how they're proposed to being striped. So how are they obvious? Um, because they have the bike symbol in the bike lane, like two per block, and they have a buffer. So that's you're not supposed to drive in the buffer. But um, isn't the buffer the bollard? Or oh, it's it's a, a striped buffer. A striped, yeah, a striped oh, buffer. Oh, the right. And so the bollards buffer. would be placed, you know, in the middle of that, that that buffer. So the green paint adds a lot of cost. So that's why we're not suggesting adding, um, you know, green paint everywhere, and it it doesn't really prevent people from double parking in a bike lane. I wasn't so much thinking about the double parking as I was thinking about it making it really obvious that those are green bike lanes and there might be a bicyclist there because sometimes I think drivers need lots of visual cues because they can be distracted and I would certainly vote for paying money for green paint if it helped make things safer um, but I, um, <laughs> I'm not an expert on that it's just kind of my anecdotal opinion where are we? I, well I was just going to say so are, is, would it be instead of having the bollards having the green paint 
I'm just, is that what you're thinking? I mean, one of the other reasons I've heard staff talk about not wanting the group paint is because it is also expensive to maintain. So it's not just the upfront cost, but it is, especially in a high traffic area like Park Street, just another consideration in terms of maintenance expense. But it sounds like you, I think staff was wanting the bollards and not have the green paint. Is the direction to consider doing green paint instead of the bollards? Colleagues, what do y'all think? I'd like to move forward with the bollards for right now and see if there's actually a problem um, and, and rather than rather than kind of assume that there isn't um, mainly safety for the safety aspect. aspect because I think there's also the safety aspect of the cyclists that we're trying to keep in mind and that's where where my concern is I'd also say that our blocks are fairly short and what I have heard from public safety when I did ask them about this was oftentimes they can access through side streets or through the back parking lots or the back streets. So they're not having the same sort of accessibility issues um, you know, be because of that. Like these aren't kind of double long streets where it gets really narrow. And I, and I would say, I mean, I live on a, a fairly long one block street that is very narrow, even though we have two lanes of traffic and parking and, you know, and there's, there's lots of cars parked and you can, there's, our, our emergency vehicles have been able to maneuver through um, just fine. They're professionals, they hold special licenses. Um, they, they know how to operate their vehicles. Um, so that would be my preference. And, and if we have an issue, the one thing about the bollards is you can remove them. Councilmember Jensen. Thank you. I agree with Councilmember Ravella. As I recall in um, G July when this came forward to the council, we heard um, quite um, comments made in response to this question from Chief Luby, who pointed out that, that the street was wide enough and that he didn't, um, he was confident that his emergency vehicles, his his engines and trucks could navigate um, Park Street, especially. Well, we were talking about Park Street, and that he didn't see any problem or any concerns about navigation. So I'd move forward with the recommendation. Okay. Um, so, so how about this? Um, we. Um, so you're looking for direction. Are you looking for a motion? I think we I think we brought this in July and you gave us some direction yeah. and then the direction was when we had the barricades to try to come back as quickly as possible which we've done and and to then give an update and try to get final directions so I just recommend we try to get pretty clear final direction tonight that way we're not coming back again and we can move forward with the striping early next year um, what I heard may I, is it would you like me to try to summarize sure. a little bit what I've heard um, was and see if there's consensus on this that there is a cap on the number. I have a little caveat question about Webster since they, Webster only has four versus 16 for Park Street and if the council's willing to give us a little bit of room on Webster to maybe add some since there are so few there. Um, so I don't know if you wanna cap that at 10 or something. Maybe we give us a little wiggle room on Webster so that it's more comparable. Um, I think Councilmember Vela suggested that it, we could have retail and restaurants but no gyms or grocery stores. Um, that we, um, it sounds like, and that we confirm the speed rating is appropriate before we enter into the contract with the barricades, that staff will confirm that before entering into any contract. 
that we look at adding some dis additional disabled parking on the other sides of the streets where there aren't any on longer blocks and then reevaluate more disabled parking as part of the parking plan that's coming through. Um, and then long-term looking, just kind of direction for us to keep in mind in our plans and our longer-term advance planning to potentially expand the sidewalks when we actually go to rehabilitate the streets at some point um, so that we get this worked into our sidewalks eventually. Madam Mayor. Uh, Councilmember Vela. One, one other thing, I know that Twirl is not retail or a restaurant, and I would I would give the exception of kind of outside of the retail or restaurant to Twirl as somebody that has an existing interest, but I, I do have concerns about having a number of businesses having some sort of like activity outside, and so I, I would like it limited, but I just wanted to give that clarity in case staff was wondering relative to what to do about Twirl. And my understanding is that they're intending to do retail in their out in, in most of their outdoor space, but. Okay. Um, all right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So um, do we have a um, Councilmember Harris Spencer? Thank you. So I want to confirm Twirl does not have kids playing out in the street or do they? Um, you know, I'm seeing um, uh, the executive director of the Downtown Alameda Business Association um, shake your head. So if for more information, for a more informed answer, would you come up and, and respond to that if you would, please? Because this is one of your members, correct? Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to clarify. They are not holding classes. They are not doing, um, you know, um, outside play areas in that parklet. It is an area that's designed for, you know, like an occasional art project or something where people are, you know, kind of going by and, and they'll also have um, music and retail. Um, they sell like art and craft projects. So the activation will not be for, you know, children sitting and playing in that space. Um, it's, that's not the intent of that area. Thank you very much. Okay, Count, uh, Vice Mayor Desai. Uh, thank you. Um, the Parklet program uh, really came at a time that uh, the businesses on the on Park and Webster um, really needed, particularly restaurants, uh, in order to survive for the obvious reasons. And the um, side benefit from that that we've all, um, you know, are pretty much wowed by is what appears to be the activation of these areas. I mean, it is really something to behold to see a lot of people um, out there. Like, for example, you know, I always enjoy seeing a lot of people um, enjoying, like, uh, Fireside over there on Santa Clara and, and Webster, a little off of Santa Clara. Um, so there, you know, so there's no, um, uh, I, I certainly don't contest, you know, the success of the Parklet program. Um, in terms of both um, helping save um, businesses, uh, some businesses, helping them pull through the pandemic, and the success in terms of the activation and bringing, and bringing people out. I mean, there is certain excitement to it. Um, but the, I'm more and more um, of the opinion, though, that um, the, the, the pandemic is over. Um, and I think we're at a point now when we need to begin to phase out the parklet program so that we don't have um, <coughs> the encroachment of, of private uses on public areas. 
I think you know you've heard testimony tonight from various um, um, uh, stakeholders where where they do see the parklet as as private space and that they're probably going to um, fight for that as as private space, but it is public space. It's for the public. It's for the public to walk down um, uh, on the sidewalk and and not feel. Um, that, that they're encroaching on private space. Um, so I do think that we need to begin to phase out um, the parklet program over an 18-month period and begin to return the businesses um, to the four walls of, of the buildings in which they um, typically operate. Um, again, you know, I don't think we should be doing it you know, over the next several months, but but I think you know an 18-month phase-out period would be fair. Um, it, 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 I, I do think that it's time to return to to normalcy. Um, now I get that you know people might say the success of activating um, uh, the main uh, main streets of Park Street or the main streets of, of Webster Street, you know. Um, is justification on its own. And you know, for each council members or any member of the public who feels that way, I don't contest that. You know, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but it's- Do you yes. guys wanna take a okay. motion? Yeah, I, I oh. we are gonna have to make a motion because okay. we are adjourning. We voted to adjourn at um, midnight. Oh. Um, oh, the, revenue, the revenue measure issue is time sensitive because if we're gonna do polling before the end of the year, we have to make that decision tonight. Um, okay. I thought that, and maybe I misunderstood, I thought the direction was to not take the consent items past midnight. Was it to take no agenda items? It was, it was to finish. Okay, but the revenue I, measure I, I is. I did not anticipate that this would um, be going on quite so long, but council can entertain. Um, I, I, it's midnight. I, it's already yes, midnight. I'm aware of that. Council can entertain a motion to um, add a little time to hear one more item. If they choose, is that correct? When it's past midnight, it's still our midnight. Exactly. I'll make a motion to hear um, the the ballot measure item seven C. Seven C. All right, only, and we finish it. Okay, city man, city attorney. Okay. Need a All right. Second. So does Member Daysal get to continue his comments on this item? Yeah. The way it works is we're going to finish this item and we're going to vote on it. Then we're going to do seven C. We're going to vote on it and we're going to adjourn. I need a second. We do need a second. All right. So does everyone understand what the motion is? Does everyone understand? Okay. And we're going to need four votes to do that, but I very much respect what the city manager has just said to us, and um, I think the need is there. So somebody will second that for us? Thank you. Councilmember Jensen, you seconded? Okay. All those in favor, um, please signify by stating aye. 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 Was that five? Okay, all right, that's what we're doing. So back to you. Okay, Vice well, Mayor. let me just wrap up. Um, I begin, to, I believe that it's, begin, it's, it's time for us to begin to phase back to, to normalcy and, and that includes um, bringing back the main uh, parts of Park Street and Webster Street um, back to where we were. But that doesn't mean that, you know, um, that precludes the um, uh, bike planning and, and, and all that kind of traffic calming. Uh, it, it, my, my, my attention is mainly on the, on the parklet program. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you. And I would just express my concern that we would be disadvantaging businesses in Alameda on our main thoroughfares 
because other cities are, are going forward with, with this outdoor program. And it's also providing opportunity for people, say, who are immunocompromised to be able to enjoy eating out. So um, I wouldn't support that. But what I, um, I think the city manager very nicely stated the, um, what could be a motion to support um, the staff recommendation with the input from the council. Um, so did we have a motion on that yet? Can we make a motion? I'll make a motion. We award a contract to raise electric for a total amount of $343,747.68 to continue the parklet program and enter into new parklet agreements with the, the dis determination of whether additional disabled parking spaces can be included in the plan and to uh, explore the limits on the types of business that can use the parklets. I don't know if you so want to I think maybe, and maybe you want to just adopt what the city manager summarized because I was taking it down. <coughs> but you, you want to do that? And then sure. I think you have a second. Sure. Was that you, Councilmember Vela? Okay. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 <coughs> Opposed? Opposed. Opposed. Okay. So that was a 3-2, and we just need three, three votes. Okay. That passes. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Now we quickly move on to item 7C. So um, let's get that going. Recommendation to provide direction to staff to explore the feasibility of placing a revenue measure on a future ballot for <coughs> potential infrastructure funding or other possible revenue measures, including the city manager entered into an agreement with Clifford Moss for an initial feasibility assessment and Fairbank, Muslin, Mullen, and Metz and Associates for survey development. These actions are not subject to further environmental review under California Environmental Quality Act Section 15378B. All right, good uh, evening, Mayor and City Council members. I'm Sarah Henry, Communications Director for the City. I have a brief presentation on exploring the feasibility of placing a revenue measure on a future ballot. The last time we took an in-depth look at our infrastructure needs, we had identified 200 million in deferred maintenance and 500 million in new infrastructure needs. Some of those potential projects include pavement maintenance, enhancing the urban forest and planting trees, addressing sea level rise and flood protection, new fire and public safety facilities that maintain our critical response time, expanded library and park services, and traffic safety improvements. In 2018 and 2022, we explored the idea of an infrastructure bond to start to meet this need, and we saw strong support from residents for this work. Since then, the city's credit rating was increased, which will allow the city to secure low interest rates on the sale of bonds. ACA 1 will be on the November 2024 ballot, and if that's successful, it'll reduce the vote threshold to 55% for general obligation bonds. And we included the feasibility of a vacancy tax in our draft strategic plan. Tonight, we're recommending that the city takes the next few months to conduct a feasibility study of a potential revenue measure, including funding the scope of services in the staff report from Clifford Moss, who will advise on strategy, and FM3, who will conduct a baseline feasibility survey. If approved tonight, we'll return to council in January with the survey results and seek additional direction on whether to continue pursuing a ballot measure. If we move forward at that time, we'll conduct community outreach, prepare a more targeted tracking survey, and develop a ballot measure language and public information. And then all of that will be presented to the council in July for the measure to then be submitted to the county registrar of voters in August. Thank you. I'm joined by City Manager Ott, and we also have FM3, Kurt Bellow, and Clifford Moss, Tim, Tom Clifford available on the Zoom if you have questions for them. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you for that report, Ms. Henry. Um, 
do we have any, um, do we have any public comment on this item, Madam Clerk? We do not. All right, I'm closing public comment on item 7C, so let's just open it up to the council. Council Member Jensen. Um, thank you. My question is with regard to the scheduling. Uh, it's my understanding uh, that at next week's school board meeting, the school board is going to put a um, revenue re measure on the ballot for March of next year. And so um, it just seems like it might confuse the issues if we're polling and um, doing outreach during February and March. So we would be polling uh, right now. So we would start polling as soon as possible. Could you pull the slide back up? Um, okay, yeah, thank you. While it's getting pulled up, we would complete our polling before the end of this year, and then we'd come back with the results of the polling, and then we would basically not be doing much work during that time where we have that primary election, and then we would doing our community outreach in the in the after afterwards in the period after that. If I can, Mayor, I just want to. We absolutely talked about that. We we don't want to interfere with the school district um, measure, and we have talked already with Tom Clifford about how, the timing on that, and our advisor, and you know the. Essentially, the advice is we, that's why we were time sensitive to get this polling done now. Um, and then we would essentially, we try to come back to you as soon as possible in January. And then really, it's February that we need to kind of go dark and not talk about this publicly so there isn't any confusion. Um, and then once the election's over, we can come back to the council and have further conversations or potentially start outreach. But we, we are timing our schedule around that and making sure we're not interfering with the school district measure. So then I'm reading this wrong, we're reading community outreach and additional survey and um, ballot development and public information, including community outreach from February to June 2024. You're right, it should be March and yeah, April. Yeah, you're right, that's Thank wrong. You. Sorry about that. Okay. But we, we might do things like amend the agreements and get things ready behind the scenes, but we wouldn't be doing public things in February and before the election. Okay, Councilor. Uh, Vice Mayor Desag? The, the one point I want to raise is um, I, I don't know if the um, school board's um, measure will be difficult or not, um, but if it is difficult, there is the possibility of a, um, of a follow-up measure in November of 2024, so it's something to sequence or think yep. about. I, we agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sorry, the what follow-up measure? If the measure fails in March 2024, given the, the importance of, of funding, there might be a follow-up measure in November 2024. <coughs> You're talking about the school school board, yeah. Oh, I hadn't heard that. But. Okay. And if that were to occur, we would bring that, any sort of action or staff recommendation would consider that, and of course the council would make the ultimate decision about whether or not that was something you wanted to do or not. <coughs> okay, um, by uh, council member Bella. Um, I, I'll keep this quick. I, I think it's worth exploring and looking looking at. I do worry about the short amount of time um, that we would have in order to get something backed. Um, and I do hope that when we, uh, that we, I, I'm gonna support going out for polling, but I do wanna keep in mind the number of other measures that are anticipated for that ballot. And so I would like to build in the different <laughs> contingencies of you know, what the outcome looks like if the schools measure passes, um, but also keeping in mind that there's going to be the statewide school bond measure on the ballot. There's going to be um, the the um, the California Business Roundtable measure um, that, that would basically 
you know, um, prevent us from tax, <laughs> you know, doing these sort of taxes. There's the the taxation measure. I'm sure we're in good hands with the consultants that you're um, looking to bring in, and th they'll be looking at all of those different scenarios. But um, I, so I look forward to, to hearing that report back in terms of what that looks like. Uh, Councilmember uh, uh, Herrera Spencer. I don't plan to support this, nor will I be supporting the tax measure. I do think that there are plenty of other taxes that we're going to be asked to support. And I, and almost, and earlier this evening, uh, I raised the concern of the city uh, uh, not supporting a business long term in uh, one of these buildings that brings in over five hundred thousand dollars a year revenue. And I really think that um, we need to. Uh, you know, I, when I see that, I think, okay, well, if, if you think you can, t and moving them to another business, that, that may keep them, it may not, it may hurt their business, but in the meantime, we are still losing revenue from a business, from a building. So we, we have actually, in, in 29, we, we, you know, I supported losing that, that's not that much revenue, and it was very expensive to protect, but uh, 25, it was not that much money to protect it. It is 500,000 a year, and um, it adds up. Um, so so I, I, I will not be supporting additional taxes uh, uh, at this time, thanks. And just to be clear, we're not asking for support of additional taxes either. This is simply um, the, the green light to go ahead and see what the public wants. And so, I mean, that's the first tenet of running a campaign you can't sell the public what they don't want to buy. So let's, I think, and I think we get a lot of other good information um, when we do polling like this about where the public is and what their concerns are. And um, so I think that's valuable. I do think we have a lot of infrastructure needs that need to be addressed. But again, this is simply saying, yes, let's go out, let's poll the public. And we're still a democracy. You know, we might not agree with something, but the majority does um, carry the day, so I'm certainly supportive of this. Um, our, um, so um, I would hope that we have a, um, a measure to, um, excuse me, a motion <coughs> to, um, to go um, to provide direction to staff to explore the feasibility of placing a revenue measure on the future, on a future ballot for potential infrastructure funding or other possible revenue measures, um, including um, the city manager, it's everything it says in the first paragraph of the um, staff report. So um, I know it's getting past our bedtime, but I think this is a reasonable item to move forward on. Uh, Councilmember Spencer. Uh, thank you. Could you clarify what is the ask for the dollar amount? Well, technically, both of these are within my authority, but I'm but I don't want to enter into these contracts if the council doesn't want us to do this work. And so, for the total is the thirty thousand for Clifford Moss, and then the forty thousand seven hundred fifty for FM three for the survey. There are, in the scopes, there are other a kind of a phase two. We are I am not asking for your direction to enter into those Explain. contracts for those amount. Um, um, those would be at that later stage in January if the decision is or what the staff's recommendation. We may not even recommend that we pursue that. Um, so it would just be for the 70, what is it, the 70,000, 750. 
Um, and to be clear for anyone who's watching who might not know, the city manager has $75,000 of authority. She could have gone forward with this, but she chose to bring it. I'm glad she did to bring it to us. So. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I do appreciate you bringing it to uh, the public so that they know also, and I do appreciate staff's uh, presentation. I, so I do support that process. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'll move approval. All right. Do I have a second? Second. Councilmember Vela seconds. We've had a motion by Councilmember Jensen, count seconded by Councilmember Vela. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 And opposed? No. Motion passes four to one. Thank you so much. And I just want to let everyone know that we are adjourning the meeting tonight in memory of three um, wonderful Alamedans who have all passed away recently. Um, one of them was Ron <coughs> Curtis, a longtime planning board member. The other was Helen Sauce, who devoted her entire adult career to um, supporting housing. She was a redevelopment director in the city and county of San Francisco. And then um, just at the end of last month, um, uh, Janet Gibson, who was um, a community activist and um, you know all of these folks in so many ways, former um, and former school board member, and um, they all contributed so much um, to our community. And so we extend our condolences to their families. They've left their legacy. They will be missed. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, staff. Thank you, council. Good night.